1: Reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look, delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart.
0: Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company,
1: Golden, Colorado.
2: Hey everyone, it's Lindsey Rhodes, and I've got a new podcast, The NFL Road Show What is up,
0: Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Pavali coming at you once more without my co host, Adam bramo I am once again, though, excited to continue our team look ahead train. Uh, we're releasing this on a Sunday because we just want to get as many teams out as possible before the start of the season. And then we'll let the last few trickle out probably sometime before the middle of January is out. We'll, we'll have those finished because we will have to gear more towards league wide coverage once there's meaningful basketball. But hey, We have like 21 or 22 of the team previews being pumped out in a span of just a couple weeks. I think that's pretty good. Today, we're talking about, one, James Harden and then the Orlando Magic with Keith Smith. He covers the NBA all over the place. He's at Yahoo Sports, Real GM, Celtics blog, and host of the front office show. Follow him on Twitter at KeithSmithMBA if you're not already. After him, we get to the Charlotte Hornets with... Kanata Edwards. He is the co-host of the Locked On Hornets podcast and also a writer for Dime Uproxx. Had a great conversation with both of them. Uh, Please make sure that you're checking it out. Before we get started, though, just my normal reminder to please, 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 please subscribe to this podcast if you've not already. Download the episodes, recommend us, help us retweet promos, get the word out. This podcast is underrated and awesome. Take people's phones, subscribe them to this podcast. They'll thank you later, maybe. And finally, whether you use iTunes or not, please head over to iTunes somehow, some way on someone else's phone, search Hardwood Knox, throw us that five star rating and write a review. Those are the second best way to really help us out after one subscribing and downloading these episodes. Without further delay, though, let's talk some James Harden trade information and Orlando Magic with Keith Smith. And then let's talk Charlotte Hornets with Kanata Edwards. Keith, thank you so much for coming on the the podcast to talk some hoops, specifically the Orlando Magic, but also some James Harden stuff with me. I really appreciate it. First and foremost, though, how are you doing?
3: Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate that. Uh, you know, we're we're doing all right. Things are are a little hectic. It's, you know, it's Christmas, so we're trying to prep for that. Uh, we were just talking before we started how we both have puppies and and that's a handful and then on top of that, this little thing, you know, called the 2021 season is starting in a matter of days. So, you know, it's all coming together all at once, but, you know, uh, time stops for no man or waits for no man or whatever that saying is.
0: Yeah, I will say I'm Going to, I know the NBA doesn't really have downtime anymore, even in a normal schedule, but after living through just the and working through like the expedited timeline that we just saw, where it was the championship and then it was, you know, there was like a, a second of a lull, but then it was the draft and then free agency and then training camps are open, and then it's preseason and now it's the regular season, uh, I could deal without that level of truncated whirl- whirlwind. <laughs> I could say Shit. that.
3: I agree with that uh, wholeheartedly. There's a uh, there. There's been nothing uh, good about about uh, the way that came together. Other than it was kind of nice to have free agency essentially done in a period of about three or four days. But, but yeah, I don't. I don't think um, you know that there, there was a uh, you know all that uh, you know m- much um, you know that we could uh, could do about it. So you know, we're making the best of it.
0: Yeah, and I don't mean to like actually legitimately complain, but this was the transactions were because they were so close together, like this was the off season where it was tough for me to keep track of certain players on certain teams. Like I, like I forgot Trevor Ariza was on the thunder at one point. (laughs) I think Trevor Ariza probably forgot that he was on the thunder at one point with how much he was moved. So that was the, that was the thing that was hard to keep track of most for me, just because it was such a flurry.
3: Yeah. I like to hope Trevor Ariza just stayed in one place and then said, tell me where (laughs) I need to go at the the end of the year.
0: Yeah. He had the very luke Ridden hour summer where that one off season where he was straight like, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, Yep. Before I start picking your brain about the Orlando Magic, uh, I don't know if you've heard, but James Harden has been in the news a little bit um, lately. And I kind of wanted to, you know, as someone who is just so in tune with like the league behind the scenes and the CBA and all that, I first and foremost wanted to ask you where you sort of land on his pushing the boundaries, I would say, of, of trade demands in advance of free agency, because this has been sort of like a a gradual process where it was, Oh, pre-agency was happening a year before they were set to explore the open market. Then it was like kind of a year and a half, like Anthony Davis was pushing that limit. Um, there was even Paul George, but like that stuff was different with the way that happened with the thunder. And now though you have James Harden, um, two full seasons left on his deal before he can even explore free agency, really pushing to get out. And I'm wondering, my questions are one, is this an issue um, that needs to be remedied? You know, when the, um, the they start talking about a new CBA, and then two, insofar as it's a problem, like what can you even do to fix it?
3: Yeah, and unless they go all the way to you know a player demanding a trade becomes finable, or that player's no is not trade eligible or something, I don't know how you fix it. I also am not entirely sure that we should fix it. I know mm-hmm. that there is a belief out there of hey, you signed a contract and honored it, but I also look at it from the other side too the team signed that contract with the player. They don't honor it. If they want to trade them, Yeah, you know, they trade them. And I generally tend to believe in life. Like, like I, I root for the labor and not the management for sure. Um, you know, it's just generally how I go, but it, it, it's not good. Let's put it that way. Um, you know for a guy like James Harden with you know two full seasons left and then a player option season after that to be saying here you know a month out from the season or so or whenever that all started of I don't wanna be on this team anymore, and I wanna to be traded this situation, I'm gonna give him a little bit of leeway. Because the front office changed over, the coach left. Uh, one of his high-profile teammates was traded. Another very good uh, player, a role player for them, was traded uh, in a trade that was really kind of designed around bringing in a younger uh, player. In that, so that part I, I understand, you know, where he would be coming from. I don't love it though because I kind of think it's it just sets a dangerous precedent. Like, like I'm gonna I'm gonna be the you know umpteenth person to say this, but Giannis just signed the supermax he's not at trade eligible for a year. So there's no way anything's happening for this year, but that's all that that's it. That's the restriction. If he decides at the end of this season, you know what, this isn't going the way I want. I don't want to be here. He can ask for a trade again And that, right. or not again, because he never did in the first place, but he can ask for a trade and that, that doesn't necessarily sit right with me. And, and I'll, you know, I should have caveated this before. I don't think that's anything Giannis is going to do. Um, but yeah, I, I, those things they it, I don't like it, but I just don't know how you fix it,
0: yeah, and that's what it is is i would I fall in the camp of you, I'm going to root for the labor over management, and I think you know there's definitely i think there's the question of james harden um has to be tough to play alongside if you're a co-star. I think that much has been proven. So there's a legitimate conversation to be had there, but there's also another common denominator when all these things started falling apart in Houston, and that would be Tillman Fertitta. And I just feel like he's, you know, as much as he's trolled for um, conveniently not paying the luxury tax in any of the seasons, um, even <laughs> though I believe they're slated for it now, I'm, I'm sure something will happen where they're just not paying a tax this year. Uh, I feel like he's sort of flown under the radar a little bit too much in all this. You know, we know D'Antoni and Harden were close. We know Daryl Morey worships James Harden. And, you know, whether or not the Sixers are actually willing to trade Ben Simmons for him, and that's a separate discussion, Morey clearly has interest in working with him again. So Harden can't be so unbearable um, that his former GM wants to actually give up assets to work with him again. And so that's where the discourse starts to get like, uncomfortable for me, too, is because, yeah, there's... I don't want to see this where players are not showing up to training camp and then it's their teammates that have to answer questions about it, and I do feel bad for Raphael Stone and and Steven Silas, but it's, like, not just Harden's fault that things are falling apart in Houston, and to your overarching point, I don't know how you would address it either. The I think one of the most popular things has been you can incentivize and enable teams to spend more by not letting these supermaxes actually count as such large percentages against the cap. But even that's resting then on, okay, these organizations still have to spend and we have to believe that players want to give them the opportunity to spend even more. And then really when you're paying one player that much money, whatever the percentage is, like how much can you lower it where it would even make like a difference for it to cap like the the percentage they would count against the cap and so i just don't know that there's a perfect solution out there i and it's i don't know that and i i would fall in your camp too where like this isn't really a problem aside from what like between 10 and 15 players in the league but those just happen to be like the 10 most uh, 10 to 15 most important players in the league and that's why it's probably worth at least trying to address
3: yeah, exactly. That, that's it. You know, no, no one cares if the uh, eighth man on a team is like, you know, hey, I want to go somewhere else because it's like, All right, whatever, you're the eighth man, you know, that's- right. Great, you know, we'll we'll move you and we'll, you know, good luck to you in your new destination. It's because the guys we care about are the true superstars. They're the guys on the max deals, and they're the ones who are you know chirping every once in a while, you know. And I, and I don't want to. The other thing too, I think this gets painted as, uh here goes the NBA again. You know, these guys are never content to you know just be happy. You know, in one place, they they always want traded, and it's like this happens. You know, maybe you know one main superstar you know maybe once a year but it's probably more like every two or three years
1: mm-hmm. so let's
3: you know that's the other thing i like to say is like, let's not all get crazy about this i know it happened with anthony davis and paul george in the same summer so that felt a little bit different but you know before that who was the the last guy before them that was a you know main you know true guy who was like get me out of here i got to go right away you know I, I don't i don't know that there was Excuse me, I'm having the hiccups. I'm not, I'm not getting all worked up and clumped about this. <laughs> um, but it's, uh, you know, it doesn't mean that much to me. Um, but it is, um, you know, I do look at it and say, you know, I think it gets overblown a little bit just how, how often this happens.
2: 2020 yeah. has already reshaped how we work and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Well, Indeed is here to help. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it and fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com/bluewire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com/bluewire. Offer is valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply.
0: Yeah, and there's like there's even the like the Paul George situation in OKC. Like I thought that was actually good, where uh, he. Ended up at least signing another deal, and so I thought maybe that incentivized like teams in smaller markets to perhaps take more chances in trades. And I think we even saw that with Milwaukee; they gave up. I, I think we could all say way too much for Drew Holiday, but it was to keep the star that they have in place. And so, how big of an issue? Like you can still appeal to players in that respect. I know George ended up leaving, but that was like sort of a perfect storm of circumstances where it kind of felt like that OKC team had already run its course somehow with the Russ. PG pairing, and then, you know, Kawhi hits free agency and is recruiting everybody under the moon to come with him to LA.
3: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, when I get into those ones, I don't, um, you know, I don't, I, how do I put this? I, you know, I, I get it there. Like, I kind of get what happened there. And I don't think the Thunder with the way that worked out for them, they're exactly complaining. Right. <laughs> I think, think what well, went, went well for them. So that's the other thing, you know, I always look at it as, Superstars, you know, in general, it used to be superstars don't, um, you know, they, they don't, they don't return the package. You think that they will, but then when you, um, go, uh, you know, into, um, but if you're going to more recent superstar trades, they have returned to pretty good packages. So that's where it kind of becomes, all right, well, you know, if you can, you know, get get into it pretty deep, what you can do there is you can say, all right, you know, it's, um, you know, I get it. And, you know, then I can understand why a team like the Thunder is, you know, happy to move Paul George or why the Rockets, you know, they're at least considering, you know, all right, well, maybe we can move, you know, James Harden, as long as we get the, you know, massive package back that we want in return.
0: Yeah, that's a good point too. It's like you, I, I, not a perfect situation if you're losing a really good player that you want to keep. But even like dating back to when Melo forced his way out of Denver, like he had it narrowed down to a market of like it was two teams at the time. It seemed like um, Brooklyn and and New York, and they still ended up getting what was a nice haul for him. And you look at the Pelicans with Davis, and then you mentioned OKC for you know they essentially the best way I've seen it phrased is that Sam Presti figured out a way to trade. Kawhi Leonard without ever having him on the roster just because of the haul that he got for Paul George alone so that's not I'm not trying to encourage that yeah just let players like force their way out they got three years left on their deal you know I don't want to see Towns or Devin Booker trying to get out of their respective teams and I definitely don't think Booker wants to now I'm not I'm just citing them as their contract examples but teams do tend to what like when is the last like star trade that a team got absolutely hosed on even when that player was really trying to Narrow down the market. Maybe Cleveland with Kyrie, but he wasn't even narrowing down the market. That just seemed like they chose the, the wrong package. One, by the way, that was celebrated in real time. Like, oh, you had the, yeah. the Nets pick. Like That was the crown jewel that everyone had wanted at the time. <clears throat>
3: Yeah, Yo, yeah. You you had the Nets pick. You had uh, Jay Crowder, who looked like he was going to be a really good player. You had um, Isaiah Thomas, who we didn't, you know, know the full extent of his injury. So yeah, at the time it was well, the Cavs just kind of you know reloaded for a guy who wasn't going to be there anymore. So yeah, it, it's been a little while. I would say you know maybe the Carmelo Anthony trade didn't work out exactly the way um, the Nuggets hoped it would, but you know now we're going we're going pretty far back. You know, and I, uh, in NBA terms, that might as well be ancient history. So, so yeah, so I get it. You know, I get why you know to kind of you know maybe you know catch up on it. I, I you know I get why these guys you know ask for these things. I, mm-hmm. I fully you know, understand that. Um, I also understand when the teams are like, no, you have you know multiple years left. you know, we're we're not even going to entertain this unless we get blown away with an offer. And that's that's you know I kind of look at it in the end. That's everybody's right on every side.
0: Yeah, and so. Uh, with Harden specifically, he has a list of four preferred teams. And I, I did find it hysterical that Milwaukee was apparently on that list for two reasons. One, uh, to name them after they traded away basically every single future asset that they have yeah. already was funny. And then two, he basically said that Giannis is only good at basketball because he's tall uh, at once. So I, I found that to be funny. <laughs> um, but I wanted to ask you if you saw any, and it's kind of twofold, if you if you like any dark horse suitors for him that are not of the four, um, Miami, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, outside that. And the second part of that would be, do you think that teams that are off his list, list might be more emboldened to go after him at, at some point just because I think even if Harden's agreeing to um, – you know, to stay where he goes next long-term, you're still only making this trade because of his next two, maybe three years. That next contract he signs, from a team perspective, good for him, whatever he gets, uh, but that next contract he signs is probably not going to age the best. And so whether you're the Nets or the Sixers, a team that he wants to go to or a team that he wouldn't want to go to, you're essentially making this trade uh, in, the, in the vein of looking at the two-year window alone anyway. And so I'm wondering if that could then emboldened teams that are not on his list to get involved in this thing at some point.
3: Yeah, I I think we could see that. And I think there's been this um, new willingness with GMs to get a guy, see if it'll work. And then if it doesn't, you flip him again in another trade um i think that's something that mm-hmm. the teams are c- considering now that they never were especially in the situation where he's got a couple years left on his deal so i'll give you i'll give you a couple teams i like from each conference um that i think you know uh, i and I, this is not a reporting thing i'm just you know i think should get involved um we're going to talk about one of them in a couple minutes here in depth the orlando magic i would not be surprised at all if the magic um you know got involved and i think that they should now the challenges do they have the pieces to throw back to Houston that they want. Um, that seems to be a little bit more questionable, but you could send Aaron Gordon and Evan Fournier is the base of your package, and then you bring in Harden, and that's now, they go from being a team that's probably right around the play-in in the Eastern Conference, so I think they're they're probably a playoff team um, with Harden, because that's how mm. good James Harden is. Um, I think the Indiana Pacers could be really interesting. What if they said, you know, we're just not going to deal with the Oladipo situation, We'll move Oladipo. We'll move one of the two bigs, Turner or Sabonis, probably Turner. I, I wouldn't move Sabonis myself. Um, move Turner and Oladipo, and there's the base of our package, and we we send them. And, again, they're, they're probably a playoff team, but that takes them to the next level in the East. And then the last East team, um, Chicago. It just feels like Chicago's got something going on mm-hmm. um and they, they've got the big expiring contract and auto porter that they could send out they've got a couple young guys they could put in the package you know they might convince houston to to be there that all those teams that i mentioned have all their own picks and then i i really believe houston wants to get him out of the conference so i don't think they're going to move him uh within the west but in the west he doesn't it feel like denver could get involved and really yeah. push themselves from being right there to maybe putting themselves in the mix with the two LA teams as the favorites to come out, and they could, you know, they could use Gary Harris and Will Barton as kind of the basis of your your package. Portland, just because, you yeah, know, we're, we, we're contractually obligated if we cover the league to try to break up CJ and Dame right. whenever we can, <laughs> right? Um, and then the last one, which I think is, you know, just kind of fun, and I think a lot of people will be like, wait, no way he would go there. Utah. I think could be Ooh. interesting because you could send out Mike Conley. There's the vast majority of your salary matching. And then they've got a couple other interesting younger-ish guys, not super young. Um, But if you sent them the Drew Holiday package of picks, here's every pick we can give you straight out with swaps, with Conley and – you know, Royce O'Neal, and you know whatever else it is you want, um, we'll send that your way. And the only thing I will say is, a lot of people are like he's not going to want to play in Utah. Utah is about as close and a hop, skip, and a jump away from Las Vegas as you can get in
0: the NBA. <laughs> um and clay thompson loves their zoos too so there's the there's the other (laughs) selling point there it is Yep. d i had not given a lot of thought to utah um i've like the teams it feels like they might just be like that one tangible asset short where it's like you could point to that young player as uh the centerpiece a team that i've thought about i'd be curious to get your thoughts on this would be what if the you know i guess this would have to leak um or would have to leak into the middle of the season to when the Raptors have their full breadth of trade-eligible guys. But yep. if you had Powell, Van Fleet, and OG, and then I don't know how many picks and swaps it takes from there to do it, he would be really interesting to me in Houston. Uh, Houston, yeah, would excuse be, me, a, uh, Toronto.
3: Toronto. You know what I would try to do if I was Toronto? I might even try to send Lowry instead of Van Vliet. I think Houston would be far less interested in that, but I'd at least start there. Um, just with Kyle Lowry's getting older you know he's still a great player but you know getting older he's you know so I might start there but yeah that that is interesting I hadn't hadn't really thought too much about that one but yeah and it would take a little bit you know what's Van Vliet's got another couple of weeks I think before he's trade eligible but yeah that that is an interesting basis of a package and that is the kind of move Masai Jerry would make without even you know uh, worry about it at all right he, he would go all in on a move like that because that's the kind of thing he does and then if right. and doesn't want to be there he'll turn around and probably trade him for more than he gave up anyway you know that just seems to be his uh his mo so yeah i could see that one that all of that said i think it's going to be miami philadelphia brooklyn you know one of the teams that that's out there eventually i think they'll get let's say a month into the season um let's you know maybe around like mlk day or so when it's kind of this uh all right we've played ourselves into shape we're still you know we're uh i don't know we're a month in the season we're you know 12 and 8 or whatever and we're we're not a top two team in the conference and one of those teams might talk themselves into all right let's get it done let's go get get hardened and see where we go
0: yeah it seems like i'm one i'm sure they're waiting on regardless of what's happening with philly like you just wait on if ben simmons might be on the table, like, you just wait to see if Philly figures it out. Um, but the odds are that one of those, I'll say three, because Milwaukee's just, that's a joke. Like, I, like, a, what do you even build yeah. something around? Middleton and Devin Chen? Like, I just don't know what that becomes. So one of the other three teams, like, maybe they start out slower aren't as good as they thought. Uh, do you think, is the your expectation, though, is that he will be moved before the trade deadline? This isn't going to be super, like, drawn out to the point where he's there the entire year in Houston?
3: It actually isn't. Um, I think if he's not moved within the next couple of days before the season starts and um, it gets really hard to trade him because of how big his salary number is and what he's at uh, just over 41 million Um, that gets hard to move unless you're sending a big contract back because otherwise you're talking two three or four guys that's tough on both the team trading for Harden and the Rockets the Rockets will have to clear roster spots for all those guys Mm -hmm. right now they have a whole bunch of guys who are set up on contracts that are pretty easily um, movable to get off of. They can waive guys for a minimum hit or for no hit in some circumstances. And they could really get there pretty easily to open up spots for three or four extra guys in a deal. Um, then on the other side, if you're like, let's say you're in the Nets, and it's midseason. um for all that Durant and Irving both look fantastic, I think you still have to be somewhat cautious of, you know, them health wise just to be, you know, on the safe side. Now you're gonna trade out all of your depth to bring in Harden. And yeah, you've got the best, you know, trio probably in the league at that point. But if anybody goes down, now you you don't have anything left to replace them with. Right. And that may, you know, makes it really, really hard. So so that's why I think he's either gonna get moved here in the next couple of days, or I think this might drag into next offseason.
0: Uh, I hope it doesn't drag out because I, I, yeah. yeah. Uh, Um, but I also hope that he's not traded before we're recording this on a Saturday. This is going to be published (laughs) on Sunday. I hope he's not traded beforehand. And as someone who, if, if chaos is already happening, I root for more chaos. I want him to go somewhere that's not on his list. That is my totally biased hope.
3: (laughs) I'm with you as well. I, I want it to be some team for both for the, um, sense of like, no, you don't get what you want in the sense of, I want some team to come out of nowhere and say, you know what, we're going for it. We're we're going to you know push all the chips in and we're, we're going to make a run at it and see where it goes.
0: And hey, maybe that's the answer to this whole thing is that if you see that Paul George didn't go to the initial team that he wanted, um, James Harden doesn't go to the initial team that he wanted. Yes, Anthony Davis went there, um, but Kawhi, like Toronto wasn't on his initial list, like you roll the dice. By requesting, if you're requesting a trade two or three years out from free agency, like there's no guarantee you're going to get to where you want anyway. So perhaps that's just the the message that is then sent to the players, which helps this thing again, insofar as it's a problem, which neither of us seem to think that it's like a huge one. Exactly. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. That's Blue Wire, all one word. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. The magic, though. Um, yeah, let's jump into everybody's favorite topic. There, I say, <laughs> yeah, I say this when I record every single team pod, but uh, I am fascinated by every single team. I'm fascinated by the magic, though, because like they're not fascinating. Like I thought this was going <laughs> to be more of a, after the Isaac injury, I thought this might have been like more of an offseason of upheaval, and they kind of just, you know, they tread water. And so I'm just curious as to what you gauge this team's direction to be. Are they really just trying to buy time? Like, again, this season until Jonathan Isaac comes back next year, um, do you see, like, maybe this is, like, a seismic shift that takes place midseason? Uh, they, by them doing nothing, they've somehow, or mo- I should say, by them doing very little, they've confused me even further about their direction.
3: Yeah, and you're not the only one. I've done several radio and podcast appearances where everybody's like, "What is it? What are they doing?" Yeah, you know, because it kind of feels like they're not doing anything, right? In a sense. Um, what I will say with with the magic is they went through after trading Dwight Howard. They went through a long period where they were they were never bad enough that you could feel like, man, here it is. Here comes in the next superstar. You know, we're in the Anthony Davis sweepstakes. Where we're there for Zion. They were never that bad. Mm-hmm. They were also never good enough. Where it was like, yeah, they could. You know, maybe make the playoffs. They were always just kind of in that that purgatory point of we're not bad, but we're not good, and we're just kind of blah. Um, and in the challenge, of what happened here is just to kind of catch all your listeners up. No one who lives in Orlando is really from here. Um, everybody moved here from somewhere else. So there's not this deep-rooted attachment to the Magic like there is a team like the Knicks, who they can not can and have been bad for decades. Mm-hmm. And people are still, you know, they still love them, right? And they're still, you know, all about the Knicks. No one's from here. So what happens with the Magic is they already face a uphill, an uphill battle um, in the local market, Um when the season starts because of football season in a normal year, because college football is, you know, getting down to it right there mm-hmm. towards the end of the regular season. College football is king here in the state of Florida, followed closely by high school and then NFL football. So no one really cares about the magic until Christmas, New Year's ish. Then the Orlando City soccer team, because nobody came here to Orlando with, I'm super passionate about the, you know, in my case, moving here from from the Boston area, the New England Revolution. Man, I love them. I, I'm a diehard. Like that doesn't really exist right. Um, you know, on that level. So everybody kind of said, you know what? We only have the one pro team, the Magic. Now we've got the second one with Orlando City soccer. I'm going to throw myself into them and get really, really into them. So by the time they start playing in March – Everybody, the magic better be good or everybody's like, who really cares? It doesn't matter. City has started. They'll carry us right into the next football season and off we go. So that gives the magic about a two or three month window to matter. And if they don't matter, then, you know, it's just they're they're off the radar entirely. And so what they did in the last couple of years by being playoff teams was they got people to care again. So that's why when people are like, they're not going to have Isaac, why didn't they bottom out? Why didn't they start trading Vooch and trade uh, Terrence Ross and move Evan Fournier and all this stuff? They don't want to go back to being bad again because I think they see what the remaining pieces that are left over or what they'd get back in trade for those guys. They're not going to be bad enough to fully bottom out. They're not going to be mm-hmm. able to go the Oklahoma City route necessarily and really tear it down to the studs. So they are looking at it as, you know, if we can't, get that bad we might as well stay competitive stay good be in the playoff mix and see where this group can go
0: there's not something to like though like maybe trying to suck up being bad for one year and land the type of player in the draft that would maybe draw more interest there or is it just so far you know the detachment is so far gone that that's not even like a a logic that could prevail at some point
3: no there is but i think they they believe, and I don't think that they're necessarily wrong, that unless you really moved Vucevic, Gordon, Ross, Fournier, yeah. um, you know, every single veteran on the team in a trade and took back, you know, only young players are really bad, um, you know, older players on bad contracts, I don't think they believe they can get bad enough to get down to that level. Um, you know, I think they look at it as whatever we would get back combined with the guys we would keep, you know, Fultz, Isaac is obviously hurt, but you know, Markel Fultz and some of the younger players like Chuma uh, Cole Anthony, this year is a rookie uh, Mo Bamba. Once he's back and going, I think they feel like those guys combined with whatever we get in return, that's going to keep us just good enough that we're not going to be able to get into that mix, you know, for a top, you know, three or four pick in the draft. Now, mm-hmm whether that's right or wrong, who really knows? You know, because I think, you know, you wouldn't know until you started making those kind of trades. And, you know, clearly, right, we could jump on any one of the trade machines you like out there and start making, you know, trades that make the magic really horrible. Um, But the question becomes, you know, well, what do you get in return? The other thing is, I don't know how much value their guys really have in trade, where you're going to take back Probably questionable bad money. But is someone giving up really good prospects and picks for, for Nick Vucevic? I don't think so. Right. Not with you know three years and $72 million left on his contract. Um Evan Fournier, that one maybe because he's an expiring deal. Um, but Terrence Ross, that's another three years. You know, he's probably somebody I could see them moving at the trade deadline. And then Aaron Gordon, his value, as I talk to people around the league, it's just all over the place. Right. So I think your challenge is well, what are you trading these guys for, you know, and the last thing that they can afford to do is just trade them just to get that money off the books, because that's not something that's going to play real well. You know, people are going to have to be like, all right, well, we got picks and we got this, you know, uh, young guy we can watch and at least root for and see what he turns into. Um, and that, that is, you know, that's the challenge. I just don't know that that package is coming back their way.
0: The And one of the other things to this too, and as someone, you know, nationally so someone like myself covering the league that's just choppering in here and there like and looking at different things we tend to over romanticize the rebuild and now that they have and i've yet to really adjust my thinking for the play-in tournament existing like it's a little bit easier <laughs> yeah. to stumble ass backwards in to a playoff spot inside the eastern conference now and so like that definitely supports their thinking one of uh a part of their thinking revolves around markel faults and i knew the consensus was that the magic are way higher on him than. Uh, anybody else, any other team was around the league, but I saw that the athletics Josh Robbins wrote that they just view him basically as their cornerstone of the future. Is that, is that one accurate? Is that two and more importantly, like smart, a fair representation of what he's capable of. I know, you know, the big thing was he shot 50% off mid Rangers post all-star last year. That that's no joke. He definitely looked more comfortable. feels like he's going to be a disruptive defender across both guard spots for a good part of his career, but I just don't see personally, I just don't know that I see a path watching him play to building a good to great offense around him. And if you're not going to have your offense go through him, I'm I'm also not sure what his value then becomes on that side of the floor.
3: Yeah, no, that, and that's a great question. What I would what I will say is um, nobody knows the magic better than Josh does. Um, so if Josh says it, there is definitely truth to it. Um, what I will say is I think that there's levels to it. I think it's Fultz and Isaac, you know, are one one a um, mm-hmm. for that team. Uh, I think they are, um, you know, they are uh, you could put them in either order. And that's how, how they would feel now. As weird as this sounds, in some ways, Isaac, despite all of the missed time, is more of a known quantity than, than Fultz is. You mm-hmm. know, this is a guy who's never made it through a full season in his first three years, and now he's going to miss his entirety of his fourth season. But you know what he is? You know, he's a uh, you know all-defense level guy. You know, when he's healthy, right. um and I'm, that's going to be the last time I'll say that when he's healthy part, because that's you know I could say that after everything I say about Jonathan Isaac. I should also say too, I'm not entirely. Rational, He's one of my favorite players in the league to watch because I think he's just an absolutely destructive defensive force. Um, I don't think there's a position he can't guard, at least in switches. Um and, and hold his own on, um. But and then offensively, where the jury's still out. You know he's developing a little bit. He's he's got a pretty nice uh, mid-range jump shot. His three-pointer kind of comes and goes. Is off the dribble game hasn't done too much, and he doesn't really do anything in the post. So he's kind of more of a complimentary guy. But he can be the guy you can build your defense around. But then Fultz is. Still a work in progress in a you know very very you know major way. Uh, despite the fact you know now here's the thing too he only just turned 22.
0: Mm-hmm. I know he
3: seems a little older because he's been feels like he's been around forever
0: and it's been like a tale of six different careers <laughs> in that process. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
3: Yeah. And, it feel, and it's funny because somebody said to me, doesn't it feel like sometimes like he's played for six teams versus just two? Yeah. <laughs> and I said, yeah, you know, that is kind of true. Um, you yeah, know, well, but I look at Fultz and I think what the magic see is if you look at the leap he made last year and what was really his rookie season in a lot of ways, you can look at that and say, man, that's pretty good. You know, for a guy who who hadn't played before, you know, or played very much before, I can feel pretty good about that. And I think they are now looking at it as, all right, this guy has enough size, he has enough ability where more and more teams are going to these uh, two ball handler lineups, mm-hmm. uh two two guys. I think they look at it as he's a versatile guy because of his size. He's six four, he's got good length. He can slide over and be, you know, your two guard and let like Cole Anthony kind of blossom into being your your more uh your your more traditional point guard type role because Fultz can clearly hold his own, so I think that is why the team is so very high on him. Um, but I, I would say Isaac is you know, right there behind them, and it's it is interesting when you talk to people with the team; they almost always mention the two of them in tandem, which is partially tied to being related to they're the exact same um, uh, horizon contract wise. Uh,
0: you mentioned Cole Anthony. He, it does seem like the magic, this is, you know, everyone I think makes fun of their spacing and shooting every single year, but it's also like kind of a real thing. And is he going to play a role uh, right away to maybe where we see him spend a bunch of time with faults and not, not only that, but sort of have a, you know, for lack of a better phrase, just like a really long rope of, of, of leeway um, to get shots up because he sort of feels like the. You, know, you, you have Terrence Ross, obviously, but he feels like one of the other guys or maybe the only other guy that can really come in and put pressure on defenses consistently from, from beyond the arc and just, just let her rip whenever he's in the game. And with the Magic having playoff aspirations, though, I'm wondering what sort of opportunity he actually gets as a rookie.
3: Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's gonna be a big one. Um, I and I would not normally say that with Steve Clifford, but I think what Anthony has shown is his body is NBA ready. Um, I think, you know, of course, being Greg Anthony's son, he knows what it takes to be physically ready mm-hmm. to play in the league. And I think he clearly spent uh, the downtime and the pre-draft time, you know, working on that. I think he went through a lot at North Carolina. That team wasn't very good. Um, Their their spacing wasn't very good. Um, He didn't have a lot of room to operate. I know he had some injuries that he played through. So I think you're seeing him in the preseason really kind of show he might be a little bit more NBA ready, which sounds weird for a 20-year-old. Uh, than normally what we see. And I think you are going to see him play a decent amount with Fultz because this Magic team desperately needs people who can create offense off the bouts because it is Fultz, fournier sometimes and that is it there is not another guy on this roster outside of if cole anthony can do it do you feel comfortable with breaking a defense down and making a play aaron gordon can do it on occasion if he's got the right matchup. but like ross is a guy who's dependent on others getting him shots vucevic is relying on you know running sets and Mm -hmm. things like that and then everybody else on the roster are either spot up shooters or you know Somebody like Michael Carter Williams, who I really like what he's become, but you don't want him doing too much offensively. So it really comes down to as long as Anthony can hold his own defensively and doesn't turn the ball over, I think he will play and play a lot. Uh, for the magic right out of the gate. And I think you're going to see a similar thing with Chuma Okiki, who is last year's first round pick. I think he's going to get on the floor quite a bit too, because again, he's a guy who you can feel pretty good about taking a few dribbles and making something positive happen. And that's just in such short supply on this team.
0: Yeah, he was a uh, he. Clearly, the other rookie I'm going to ask you about for them was Chumokiki. Uh, Sorry, I'm jumping
3: all over your outline here. Oh,
0: that that just means that I love doing that. Um, that's just more so that that's one mostly for me, and then uh, I do feel bad when I send them to first-time guests at how long they tend to be because I'm talking myself through everything within it. They're more so for my benefit. Oh, um, but yeah, uh, Chumokiki. So you you think that he's going to play an actual role because they're. Again, it comes back to the playoffs, but then he also misses all of last year. so is there the element of you have to bring them along um, slowly and then just also they have like bodies for days. I'm not I'm not saying they're necessarily the right bodies, but bodies <laughs> for days across those two three, four spots.
3: Yeah, I, I do think he is gonna play. I think he faces a little bit more of an uphill battle um than than I uh, Anthony does toward towards immediate minutes because I think what's gonna happen with the magic, I, you know, they're starting five, you know, assuming everybody's ready is Vucevic, Gordon, Ennis, Fournier, and Fultz. Ross is the first guy off the bench. Then you're going to see Carter Williams come in, and he's going to play a lot. And I think they feel comfortable enough with him defending anybody one through three um, that they – he that's in some ways one of the guys Okiki has to beat out mm-hmm. for minutes um, there. And Carter Williams, I know a lot of people don't watch the Magic. They've probably given up on him. He's adopted a little bit of that Tony Allen mindset of – can't really shoot, but he's gonna defend the heck out of everybody you put him on. And he can do just enough if you get him the ball as your, you know, you know, swing, swing, and he's, you know, got a little bit of a lane in front of him. He can do enough to create something out of that. You know, he's still got that kind of points, point guard skill in him. So I think that his him adopting that is really, in a lot of ways, it's, you know, rejuvenated and saved his career, um, that mindset. So they feel good about putting him in the game. Then it's going to be a big. It's going to be Ken Burch or uh, Mo Bamba when Bamba is ready to go. He's still working through some stuff. Then it's kind of the mixed bag guys because it becomes Gary Clark, Dwayne Bacon, and Chumo Okiki. If Okiki can eventually prove he can defend and he's not going to foul because Steve Clifford doesn't play guys who follow. <laughs> well. um, they follow among the least of anybody. In the entire team in league, um, then he'll get on the floor, and I think he'll beat those guys out eventually. Because again, they they're going to need guys who can put the ball on the floor and create offense.
0: What does you had mentioned Michael Carter Williams and the you know they had some killer second units with him in the game yep. last year. Uh, what do you view as like like sort of the the spitting image of that this year? Because I do think they have to like the second unit is going to have to change a little bit if you're you know, want. Cole Anthony in there, obviously, and then Chumil Kiki's factor in. We have Alpha Minu too. So, what does sort of that like set, like that bench rotation look like? I think you mentioned that Ross will be the first one coming off the bench, and then uh, it'll be we assume MCW. Uh, like who? How do they flesh it out from there? Uh, is Mobamba going to definitely be the backup center once he's actually healthy, or is Ken Birch still going to factor into that? Again, it's just they have so many different bodies on this team.
3: Yeah, yeah. I think Birch has a chance to really win that job, and there are a lot of people who believe um, Birch is more conducive to winning right now because he doesn't really do anything that hurts you. Uh, but he clearly doesn't have the upside of Bamba, right? Mo, Mo Bamba, when he looks good, you're like, I see it. I see why this guy could be, you know, this dominant, you know, force at the five. He can block shots. He can move his feet. um, He's got range. He can score inside. The problem is then he commits, you know, four fouls in 10 minutes and he's on the bench or he goes through these games or he's out there for 20 minutes. And you're like, did he do anything? (laughs) Like, I don't remember him being on the court, which is, you know, if you're a big man and you don't you're completely nondescript that's that's not good right you can kind of get away with that as a wing a little bit I think but as a big you better be doing something um so I think what you're going to see early on is we know Isaac is out for the year Alfred Camino kind of the surprise of everybody as training camp got started we were told he wasn't going to be ready then we got an update it was either on the first or second day that he is out for um he's out for a while um, you know, they, they didn't put a timeline on it. He had another procedure on his knee. So I think those two guys are going to be out for a while, Aminu and Isaac. Then Bamba is making progress is all we're kind of hearing. Um, it sounds like he feels like he's more ready than the team does right now. So we'll see. I don't think he's going to be in the rotation, at least, you know, for the early part. So that's a long way of answering your question to say Steve Clifford really only wants to play nine guys. I think early on, because of the makeup of this roster, he's going to have to go to 10 and just play 10 deep. So it'll be Ross, Carter Williams, Birch. I know those three are going to be in the rotation. Then I think Gary Clark, and then I think the 10th guy will be Cole Anthony. And then I think Bacon and Okiki will get in there on the nights when somebody is out,
1: mm-hmm. um, at
3: least initially. And I think there's the potential that as the season goes along, Okiki eventually slides in and kind of takes over um, a little bit of probably some of Carter Williams minutes, um, you know, maybe some of Clark's minutes, maybe they go a little smaller on that backup. Grouping, um, they're talking about playing big though with Birch and Vucevic together at times, which is something I you know don't fully grasp and understand. And I guess I need to see it to really see what that would look like in meaningful games. But I think that's the the direction um, where we're going into because I think you're going to see it be um, you know kind of a flexible grouping once you get past those first few guys.
0: What is once he's healthy by you know the team standards? What is the path to having Mobamba? You know, stay on the floor. You mentioned he's kind of nondescript, and that's uh, in certain moments, and that's probably like the perfect way to describe him. But he's like also, you know, is it just the matter of having a more NBA ready body, um, or hitting the three more consistently, or not fouling as much? And then to your point about him being nondescript, like you could really not feel him being in the game, and then look up and he just has like three fouls in the span of whatever minutes, and that just doesn't even make sense. Um, So, what is like the pathway to him actually like getting, like having a consistent role in this rotation once he is healthy enough to do so
3: yeah you know if he's given up his fouls at the rim the magic aren't gonna mind as much it's the stupid ones when he's you know f- 25, 30, 40 feet from the basket, you know, pressing up on a guy for no real reason, Um, you know, when he reaches in and gets a dumb one, those are the ones that kill him, Um, you know, the two or three. I can't imagine Steve
0: Clifford coaching that player, by the way. Yeah, (laughs) no, and that's
3: not, yeah, that's not exactly the way he wants it done either, so that starts to become a problem, so I think, you know, well, clearly, I think what the path was here was, I always say this, is him and Nick Vucevic were supposed to be like ships passing in the night, As Vucevic aged out? Bamba came in and then Vucevic was either traded or became a backup. And I think the ideal would have been to trade him, you know, get pieces and then Bamba slides in and he's your starting five. And you're building a starting group that is, you know, the longest and maybe most athletic in the entire league. And I think they believe that's a way you can win. And if you look at um, what... uh, um, Jeff Weltman and John Hammond have done in their other stops in Toronto and Milwaukee specifically. Clearly they believe in, you know, draft long athletes and then let them develop into something. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think now the challenge with Bamba is every time he gets going, something happens right um you know, it's it an injury or you know i um, mean in this this case of last season he got covid which is you know really scary and you know it sounds like everything is good he says he feels really good but i think the team is you know quite rightly being cautious with that i think you know as everybody kind of says there's still a lot we don't know about athletes coming back from covid so i think that they're they're just being very cautious with that so but let's be optimistic and hopeful here i think the hope is he takes over for burke you know, when he's ready to go and that by the end of this season you can feel better about if you have a trade that makes sense for Nikola Vucevic you can move him and feel good about all right bomba paired with veteran center X, um then I'm we're good right we're we're, mm-hmm. we're solid for 48 minutes at the five and go i think there might be a little bit of belief that if isaac you know, bounces back and lost anything from this latest knee injury. Athletically, you know, maybe he starts to become more of a five, and and I've been you know begging, begging, begging for them to play him uh, more at the five because I think he can just be absolutely devastating there. Um, but that that is where I think um, you know they're looking for Obama. Ultimately, that's that's what they want to see out of him, and that's, you know, I think how they hope this progresses forward. But the challenge is it may not be at the end of this year now. Now it may be, you know, another year in, which is not the end of the world, but by that point now, Bomb is looking for that second contract, Yeah, it starts to get a little bit messy.
0: What also kind of complicated this, too, was the timing of everything. So he has the uh, stress fracture in his left leg to, um, in his rookie year, and then I think Vooch hits that's, – that's Vooch's free agency summer, too. It's like you kind of had to make the decision of, you know, maybe they – Like before then, they had given more consideration to letting vooch walk and just leaning into bamba but if you you know if he's coming off an injury and like you said you don't know what his athleticism might look like after that the timing yep. of like vooch's contract like they were almost it, and you it, never it, want to let good it. players walk away either
3: to, sorry to interrupt you but on top of it you just made the playoffs for the first time in forever that is yeah. so there was a sense of you know vooch was an all-star you know can, can you let vooch walk when he was an all-star you made the playoffs you took a game off the raptors and everybody got all excited for you know a day there where it was like holy crap you know toronto's doing it again and the magic are gonna you'll upset them and all that stuff and then yeah you add it all together and it became like all right i can see why vuc got you know 80 million or 90 million or whatever it was over four years all right i kind of get why that contract happened
0: do you so do you view eric gordon's passing jump as real and something that they're going to milk even further this this year i think um towards the like the second half of last season he averaged like a crazy amount of potential assists. he did some stuff like um, with his back to the basket. And it feels, you know, in anticipation of this, I've I haven't been watching too much preseason because I don't want it to influence a project I'm working on at um bleacher report, but I like was watching stuff that he was doing and it feels like they're kind of getting him in even more pick and rolls now. And so do they actually believe in that passing and how are they, is that just how they're gonna use him from now on? If if it simultaneously feels like they use him differently every single year and never in the proper context of what his strengths are.
3: Uh, y- yes, provided his jumper comes back around now a l- little bit of an unknown thing that I don't think a lot of people know outside of the area um he played through through a really bad um ankle injury all season long um it, it just was not good uh for him. He heard it very early in the year and then just kept playing because he felt like like the team needs me mm-hmm. um you know they they need me out there and he just kept going through it and then boy, by the time we get into the bubble, He kind of reheard it and then it was just, all right, this is not, this is no longer worth it, you know, for you to be out here where, you know, where are we going anyway? You know, just, well, we're going to deal with this. So I think it was, um, that got overlooked a little bit. He didn't have the lift. He usually has, right? This is a guy who's one of the best, um, you know... Uh, should be a two-time uh, dunk you know, champion,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, yes, he
3: absolutely should be. Yeah, one of the best, um, uh, you know, athletes in the entire league. So I think what it is, as you look at it, um, you know, with, um, you know, Aaron Gordon is, I think they do want to put the ball in his hands a lot and, and see, you know, all right, what can happen. Because what what with his size... In his athletic ability when he's feeling good, he sees the floor so well because, you know, because he's 6'8", 6'9", and guys just don't, you know, guys aren't usually passers at that that height, you know, so he sees everything. So I think what it is, is he is, um you know, really able to see a lot of stuff. The Magic, you know, surprisingly for all that they, they don't have, you know, they don't have a three-point sniper. They've got a bunch of guys who are pretty good shooters. Um, you know, in general, um, you know, Vooch is a pretty good shooter. Uh, Fournier shot really well last year. Mm-hmm. Folts can do some stuff in the mid range. You know, I think he's, uh, you know, his mid range percentages were way, way up there. Um, so I think Gordon can find stuff. The challenge is if his jumper is broke like it was last year, which I'm going to chalk up to the injury. Teams are going to, if it's broke like that though, now and it wasn't the injury. Teams are going to drop off him. They're going to get into those passing lanes, and it's going to make it a mess. So I think a lot of that depends on you're not catching anybody off guard anymore. You've got to get going. Um, you know, to be uh, how do I put this? You got to be able to you know hit enough jumpers to keep people honest to open up those passing lanes, and that that's the thing I, I need to see out of him.
0: There, I just I don't know what to expect from his shot making anymore. And he, he even went through stretches last year. I was looking at his splits, where like he was shooting well on. Catch and shoot threes, but then it would plummet. Um, he's never, you know, his pull up jumper's never really been trustworthy. But if you're going to leverage his playmaking from, from face up spots specifically, um, you can get away with it if he's going to be down low a little bit. But if you're going to leverage it from him, you know, bringing the ball up the quarter, setting the offense up from above the break, you need him to have at least a, a, some semblance of a floor game to really leverage that threat. So I just don't, he still fascinates me. And I know you said that his trade values. Or considered around the league, just all over the place. Yeah. He still feels like he could be like a hyper valuable player, but probably just not on this team is just where I'm at at this point.
3: Yeah. I, I, you know, I'm to the point where, you know, I don't like when people throw, well, it's the magic, don't develop anybody. I mean, that was true when he was first drafted, but now it's a whole new front office. It's been uh, three different coaching staffs. So like, like, we can't keep saying that because. You can't say that and then say, man, they've really brought Fultz along pretty well. Right. Like that's, you know, those two things don't go hand in hand to me. But I do wonder if Aaron Gordon is one of those guys, if, you know, and unfortunately in magic history, there's a lot of them where, it's eventually his time just going to run its course. They're going to move on from him. And then wherever he goes next, he becomes a 20 and 10 guy. And it's like, what, how did this happen? You know, again, you know, Victor Oladipo and, you know, you can just go down the list with guys after they left Orlando that feel, you know, like they broke out after they went. One thing that he does have to certainly do is with his athleticism and the the way he can you know get up around the the basket, he is pretty strong. He has to finish better. He, uh-huh. he misses too much stuff inside. He doesn't have any moves inside, but he should at this point, especially where he plays a lot at the three um, against a lot of teams or they'll put a three on him. He should be able to take that guy down there, pin him, turn and finish over those guys and finish through the bigs because he's strong enough and athletic enough. And we just don't see that often enough out of him.
0: Do the Magic still view Vooch as a super important part to their long term? I think you could make the case easily, yes, just because there's not there's no certainty behind him. There's Birch, which is fine, but you don't know really what you have in Mobamba at this point. At the same time, you know, let's say that they're not firmly in the playoff discussion, um, and I don't know how interested they'd be in like you know if they're in contention for ninth or tenth. Like, do they view that as something they're going to chase or not? He sort of seems like one of the two or three players that would be most mentioned in trade rumors and then the flip side to that flip side would be well you know teams aren't necessarily in the business of forking over all this money and value for bigs and he has you know including this season three years and 72 left i don't think he's super overpaid like that's just not bad value for what he does but it's also not the way um you know a lot of teams play like he's not going to necessarily be a focal point in all these different situations so i'm having trouble just like grappling with how uh, one, he necessarily fits long-term because it does feel like the Magic might soon be headed for you know, just a wholesale facelift. Uh, yep. But at the same time, it's like, well, where is he really supp- – like, what are they supposed to do with him?
3: Yeah, no, and that's totally fair, and I, and I get exactly where you're coming from with that because it does feel a little like, hey, what? what are you? You know, I mean, as a team around this guy. Now, he's really important to them because he is their best player. Um, I think that's pretty clear, um you know, to the way the roster's built. He's the guy who's been here the longest, so that has some you know real importance to the team as well and I think there is you know this thought around it, as what you mentioned is well, if we get rid of him, what do we have behind him right you know in in your in to to your other point is what do you get back? for him right now because I think the single biggest challenge with moving Vooch is he's owed $72 million over the next three years. Now it does decline, but not by enough where you're like, yeah, there it is. There's a steal. Yeah. You know, it, it goes from 26 to 24 to 22, you know, and, and now he is, well, what is he, he just turned 30, you know, um, a couple months ago. So, you know, his age 30 season, I think his game should age quite well he's never been overly dependent on athleticism or you know anything like that he's very strong he's you know i I don't think a lot of people know but he's one of the best rebounders in the game Mm because he's just he's got great hands and his positioning is excellent he's as he's extended his range i think he is a valuable player but the problem is whenever anybody asks me about vooch trades i'm like sure yeah where do you see him as a great fit yeah and everybody kind of goes through the list and they're like, uh, yeah, I don't know. And I'm like, there it is, right? Um, you know, I think if, if for whatever reason Milwaukee wanted to move on from Brooke Lopez, I think he'd be awesome in the role they asked Brooke Lopez to play. But they're probably not moving Brooke Lopez from... Yeah, you get into the issue of, like, well,
0: how much of an upgrade is Vooch over Brooke Lopez?
3: And and even is he one, right? Because Lopez has really become such a dominant defender. Yeah. Um, There was a point where you could have talked me into, you know, I could see Brooklyn throwing some stuff together and, you know, but that would mean moving off DeAndre Jordan. They're not going to do that. Uh, Toronto, there was a point where I thought that maybe made some sense and maybe if they really wanted to pivot and say, all right, you know, we're we're not going to do anything big, but we're going to rebuild this team kind of on the fly and you know, try to get back in there with these smart role players i think he could make some sense there but that's about it you know as you kind of go through the western conference teams there's not a whole bunch of teams where it makes sense that they would give up and then that's the other thing because of his importance to the magic because it's not like mo if mo Bambo was knocking on the door and it's like we got to free up the spot for him Mm -hmm. then your return package doesn't need to be as good right you can really kind of say all right, I get it. You know, well, let's just you know go. But if the return package needs to be really good because you don't have anything else in place, well, what, what what are you looking at? I mean, people love pitching the the Warriors idea. They don't want Andrew Wiggins back. That's yeah. not, you know, they're, they're not going to do that. You know, and, I, and, and I'm one of the you know remaining people who's not in the Andrew Wiggins family who still thinks he could still be good. Um, you Must know, it's great lonely. situation. Yeah, it's yeah, it's you know, it's nice though, because I go to their family barbecues and we we'll talk to each other <laughs> and, and talk each other into it. Um, but you know, that that's the challenge, right? Is you know, where where do you want to go? And then you know, and then invariably somebody's like, Well, the kings and it's like, Yeah, but Vladi's not there anymore. You know, so you can't just pitch every you know, uh you know, um uh, Gosh, a former Yugoslavian country player to to the Kings and assume that that's okay, right? It's a yeah, you know, and that, they're clearly not, not, looking to get
0: younger around Fox too. Exactly, Sorry to you right? there.
3: Yeah, they're they're, they're not going to do that either. So, so yeah, that's where one where I think it becomes the magic of probably riding this out for at least another year, maybe two, and then I think when he becomes he's twenty two million dollars and expiring, then it's very easy to see. All right, who needs a center? There'll be a number of contracts that you can trade one for one for that, and it'll make sense at that point. And I think you know then that's when you start to look for a trade there. But right now, there's just there nothing jumps out at me that makes sense for either side.
0: Yeah, the only one I had really thought about was uh, San Antonio because it feels like if they just included literally any one of their young wings with with salary filler, <laughs> yeah. it would yeah. it would make sense. But they, I don't, they're like sort of the I don't want to say they're the magic of the East. But like they, their direction is all over the place right now. Like they're trying to straddle two timelines too. So I don't. Yeah, think Yeah, they that just would
3: re-signed be... Jakob Pertl to what I think was one of the better value contracts of the entire offseason. I don't even some, did he even
0: behind. get Mason Plumley money? He was super no, cheap. No, uh, were... right around it. Yeah. yeah,
3: basically the same. And you know, get give me Jakob Pertl for that salary any day. You know, I, I think he's actually okay. I, I think he can you know play some. So yeah, that's and that one. You know what would be. What would absolutely break the heart of Magic fan would be trade Vooch to San Antonio, and then he goes on to you know win a title, <laughs> and, and just twenty and ten in that run because doesn't that, it just feels like what would happen for the Spurs and kind of to the Magic if that deal ever came together?
0: I don't mean to make you focus too much on trades, but I look at the three players that are most interesting to me where I feel like they could be moved as Terrence Ross because he has value everywhere just based off what he brings Fournier he has value everywhere he's also on the last year of his deal and then even Gordon like part of the thing with him is he's gonna want a third contract soon like that's what they're coming up on for him he has two years left on that deal so if you sort of had to rank the likelihood that those three players finish the um, team on a different season how would that order shake out for you
3: um I, I think Fournier would be the one I would say is most likely to be traded just cuz he's in that last year of his contract. I don't know that the team necessarily wants to be the ones to pay him his next contract. I don't know that they see that as, you know, something that really makes a lot of sense for them to do. So I could see him uh, being moved. Ross, like you said, at the every year at the trade deadline, every single contender is, you know, what are you looking at? More shooting? You know, so of course Terrence Ross fits literally everywhere, um, in that situation. So I think what you would be looking at with Ross is, all right, you know, let's go get him moved off to to another team, and and that um, you know, that could probably actually net you a couple, you know, nice assets in that um deal too. You know, a decent Mm -hmm. you, I think you could get a protected first for Ross. I think a lottery protected first if a team was, you know, if you're um. I'm just making this up, but if you're Philadelphia and you're like this guy puts us over the top to to really be a true contender, um and I think their bench still needs some work. And let's face it, that team can always use more shooting. Yeah. Um just the way they're constructed. <laughs> I, I think I think that's a deal that you know, you could see them say, you know, we'll give you a lot of protected first for him, and that you know, would be something that would make some sense. And then um the last guy, Gordon, I just think I think Gordon is probably a year away. Before we see him, um, you know, maybe moved and it looks like he, he goes on to, to be something, uh, something else somewhere and just see, you know, it is what he really needed. Kind of that breath of fresh air, you know, on that. And, you know, the one other thing I'll say with the magic too, is, um, they tend to work pretty quietly. Um, if you think about the Fultz trade, that was never even a thought for anybody that that would would happen um you know so so i think if anything happens it is to it is more likely that this is going to be something that kind of comes a little bit out of nowhere and Everybody's kind of like oh okay um and then their last piece for them kind of related to trading those three guys is a lot of that to me ties into what are you doing with fultz and isaac because they're both extension eligible yep so where where are you going with this are so you trying to my guess is i believe they are trying to get them on team friendly extensions right now and they're not that not going to happen. So that's going to drag into next year. And then then they're both restricted free agents, but they're clearly guys that the team wants to keep. So then it becomes how much are you paying for them? How much are you forced to pay them? You know, does some other team that you know do the Knicks with cap space and ready to maybe take a step forward next year, force you to, you know, pay one of them, does, um, you know, Cleveland or Dallas or one of these other teams that, you know, those guys could really help. Do they come in and say, you know, Hey, now here's a 20 million a year offer sheet. And you got to kind of <laughs> stare at it a before you, before you match it. Right. So that's, that's, I think factors into, you know, whatever their future is has to factor into the futures of those veteran guys around them.
0: Yeah, that that was a good point. I don't even know what I would pay Isaac at this point, just because of the, <laughs> it's the impossible, injury. Right? Yeah, yep. like I don't even know and how and to, the, they have to be so point far point? apart on a number. Like if they're talking, yeah, you're not going to
3: know next year either, because it's not like he's coming back in the yeah. middle of the season and you can be. all right, already looks really good. And, you know, let's go. So yeah, my guess is the, the Magic. I, I said this on another appearance somewhere. I said my guess is they're probably like twelve million a year. That's what we'll do, and I'm sure if you're Isaac, you're like get out of here. No. Yeah. For sure, and then that becomes all right. Well, let's take it to a restricted free agency, I guess, and and see. And I think that's where, if you're the Magic, you have to be a little bit nervous because, like, a team I really like for him, like Dallas, Giannis is off the board now. Yeah, Dallas is going to have max cap space. They're not going to give it all to Isaac, clearly. But what if they said, hey, we've got 35 million in space, we can give 20 million of it to Isaac, because even if he's not exactly perfect, we've got enough talent to make it work without him. But with him, he changes. Now we're a title contender. If he gets back and is the defender he once was, and then if you're the magic, now you're sitting there like, do we match that? Do we let him go? like like that that's the hard part of it. So that's why you know thats I mean as I put it, this is why Jeff Weltman and John Hammond are getting paid an awful lot of money to make to make that decision, and the rest of us can just sit here and nitpick it whatever whatever decision they make.
0: I would be absolutely paranoid if I was Dallas about paying both Christophs and Jonathan Isaac, but that would be the defensive fit, and they already have if, if they keep Richardson and then they have Dorian Finney-Smith. That all of a sudden becomes like a top-tier defense. That's a that's yeah, and
3: in, You know, then you just put Luka wherever,
0: right? just yeah.
3: you, <laughs> you defend that guy, and we're all going to help you for the rest of the time, and then you literally can create everything on offense, and we're just here to finish. Like <laughs> I just I look at McMahon I'm like, man, that is yeah. You know,
0: yeah, yeah, it, it, it <laughs> yeah, is. That's
3: getting pretty far out there, but yeah, yeah that's the one I dream about sometimes.
0: Um, of the three players we were just talking about, too, it's interesting because I'm—I think I'm highest on Gordon and most intrigued by him, but he's probably the hardest like fit to find. And, like when you're looking at if they were to move him, like what teams might give up value? I know a lot of people like the fit in Minnesota, and I would agree, but like, what are you getting for Minnesota for Aaron Gordon? You—I don't, don't think you want Malik Beasley's deal as like the yeah. centerpiece in that. Um, and then really and the other,
3: with everything he's going through right now, yeah. that doesn't fit, you know, what the magic are as an organization. So that's,
0: that's a challenge as well. The other two that stuck out to me just really quickly were, um, Denver and Boston. Um, seems like I, first of all, I wasn't like, cra- I, I don't think anyone was crazy about Boston's, um, off season, but I think to me, like Aaron Gordon's a better answer defensively to a Giannis and a Bam than Tristan Thompson was going to be anyway, and so he interests me there. And then Denver, just imagining him playing alongside Jokic, um, sort of in that like Paul Millsap role, but just even more of a a hybrid. And because Millsap's getting so much older, but then you still again run into the issue of okay, like Boston has like a hodgepodge of assets, but like what is what does Orlando really want? Are they in love with any of their their young guards? And then there's of course the you know salary matching is tough. Like you don't want to have to take necessarily Tristan Thompson back in that deal when he's eligible to be moved. And Well, I think the
3: benefit there though, is right. The Celtics have the trade exception. So you well, could true. slide him into that without having to do this. You know, you could maybe say, you know, Hey, you guys want Robert Williams and Romeo Langford and, you know, three first round picks or, you know, the protected pay or whatever it is, I think you could maybe get there um that way just because of that the the um existence of the trade exception because you're not having to send back money necessary to
0: match. I totally forgot about that trade exception. Um that is a good point. And they're not I guess they can make that work like if they far enough beneath the, the hard cap at the yeah, moment yeah because they,
2: they they have about
3: 21 million under the hard cap and Gordon's about 18.
0: So that, that, uh, that, that
3: does work if, if not that I've looked at it a time or 10, yeah. Um, but yeah, um, the, the one that, the one that I, you know, I think I've probably pitched 5 million times over the last you know two or three years is Gordon and Fournier for CJ McCollum. But now I think Portland's done what they've done to beef up their forward line. So I don't think that's, you know, as uh, necessary of a move for them, but there was a point in time where I was like, this just makes perfect sense. You know, for both of these teams, McCollum can come to Orlando, be the lead scorer, uh, the lead guard, be kind of the, the face of the franchise. And then Dame gets two guys who really fit him well um, alongside him. And like I said earlier, you know, we're contractually obligated to break those two up whenever <laughs> opportunity you know knocks. But but I've pitched that one a million times.
0: Yeah, that would uh, pre-Rocco. That would have made yep. like a lot of sense.
3: Yeah, now with Covington and Jones Jr. there, and re-signed Carmelo and uh, Gary Trent Jr. kind of blossomed. I think he can do uh, some of the things Gordon can do defensively, just a you know a little bit smaller. Um, you know, yeah, I just don't think there's that room now to, that that makes the sense it once did.
0: Uh, this question's always loaded because everything in the NBA is so matchup based now when it comes to lineups. But what do you think ends up being the most used or best closing lineup for this Magic squad?
3: Um. I think it's Vooch, Gordon, Ross, Fournier, and Foltz. I, I I think it's uh, you know, James Ennis goes out, Ross comes in. Um, maybe if you need uh, defense, you go to Carter Williams in place of Ross. Um you could do a little bit of offense defense there. Mm-hmm. Um there's the potential if Cole Anthony really develops into a knockdown shooter, he could get those closing point guard minutes over Fultz. I just don't necessarily see it. So that, I think, yo, know, is as boring as it may be, I think that's what it is, is Rooch, Gordon, Ross, Fournier, Fultz.
0: Um, I'm hoping the answer to this one won't be boring. Is there a quirky lineup you want to see them try, just like an offbeat combination that maybe even Steve Clifford would be totally against using, or wouldn't immediately think of using? That you're you are hoping they test out at some point this season.
3: Yeah, I have a whole bunch of them. If Jonathan Isaac was healthy, but since he's not, <laughs> yeah, um, he does
0: make this exercise significantly less fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
3: because right, because with him you can put him kind of anywhere three through five and feel like all right, it makes sense. You know, I'm just kind of plugging in pieces around him. I want to see them do some stuff with Ross, um, maybe Gary Clark at the four because Clark showed some stuff as a shooter, mm-hmm. and then you could do Ross, Clark, Vucevic, Fultz, and Anthony. Because I think you've got just enough shooting to work around those two guys that you can open up the floor a little bit for them to be offensive creators. So I'd like to see them mix in a group like that.
0: I would. Re- that's a really interesting one that I didn't even give some thought to. I would love to see them, and I probably campaign for this every year, um, to move Gordon to the five for spurts. And then like let's try to surround him with a combination of shooting and then like enough defense and be really small. And the four players i have would be Fultz, williams uh anthony and then i'd probably put ross in there as the other one that is so small but it feels like between Fultz and williams like maybe you get enough positional defense um and ball containment on the perimeter and i really like the idea of gordon as as a five it just doesn't seem i mean one they've clearly like gravitated him towards the completely opposite direction but yeah. i'm i'm a sucker for for small ball units and he seems like You know, one of the guys in the league where we we talk about small ball fives all the time, but it feels like he would actually be able to anchor those units.
3: Yeah, just worry you don't have a lot of rim protection there, but you do have good defenders that can keep guys in front of them. And then this then my worry becomes you might be able to force misses, but can you corral the ball?
0: Yeah, can you rebound it?
3: Yeah, I, th- I think that becomes your your kind of lone issue there cuz for all of his gifts Gordon's never really been that kind of, you know, rebounder I think we all think he could be. I think some of that is he's only ever really played with Vooch and Vooch is, you know, he's gobbling up so many of them and I think Gordon is kind of uh, they they've almost kind of taken that approach of uh, of all right, you got it, I'm going to you know get headed up the floor um versus, you know, kind of kind of crashing in there himself. But yeah, that you know, I I would the challenges they are um they can be a lot of times a boring team because of you know you just kind of know what it's going to be mm-hmm. um you know there was points last season where i could tell you within 30 seconds to a minute their entire substitution pattern before the game even started wow you know unless there was foul trouble and like cause you just knew you know all right well um you know augustine's gonna come in for faults you know you know, at the six minute mark and they're going to uh, take one of Gordon or Isaac out and they're going to put in uh, Ross, deal for them and then Fournier is going to go out and then Fournier will come back like you just knew exactly what it was going to be. It was that rigid. And I think that can work when you're really, really good. I I think you know we've seen that at times. But when you're not, I think that's where the creativity could really, you know, get in there. I just think, you know, a lot of that is lost because you don't have you don't have Isaac's versatility. You don't have a mean just as that extra forward mm-hmm. um that you can put out there because there are other forwards other than Clark are now right. It felt like this team had, you know, eight power forwards for a number of years and now it feels like they've got Gordon and maybe kind of Gary Clark and that's it. Um, you know, they, they don't have fives that can really credibly play there and they don't really have threes that are, you can easily see sliding up to play the four either. I think, you know, Okiki maybe, you know, could do a little bit of that, but I think, you know, he's got a long way to go. And I think we saw them try some of that with James Ennis and it just was, wasn't good. So I don't <laughs> think we're going to see that again.
0: See if James Ennis can rediscover his three point shot too. Yeah. It would be, It'd be for, huge
3: for them. Yeah. Cause he was really bad once the magic on him. I think it was the worst he's ever shot in his career.
0: Yeah, it was. Um, I remember looking so. at it, and it was absurdly low.
3: Yeah, it was in the 20s, if I remember right. Yeah.
0: And I'm sure their spacing doesn't help, but like that, there was something else like a miss there. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, what's a realistic win total and East finish for this team? They're over under. I was actually surprised it was this low. Is 31.5, and I can't think in terms of 72 games. So that is the equivalent of a 36 win season. (laughs) That seems to imply that either their floors constructed is a lot lower than the magic estimate, or that like the projections, the odds makers, like whatever goes into it is baking in. like some sort of a talent sale. Um, so which way would you lean? Like, do you see them just hitting the over? Um, would you expect that this is the season? They make some shakeups in the, in the middle of the year. Where do you sort of lean with where this team will finish?
3: I think I've got them a little over. I've got them at 33 wins. Um, and I've got them right in that, you know, uh 10th range, you know, somewhere between eight and 10th in the East. So they'll be in the play-in mix is my guess. Um, I don't think – I, I kind of look at the East as there are seven kind of locks in mm-hmm. the Eastern Conference. Um, of course, one of those seven, the wheels will fall off, right? Everything will go wrong and they won't be good. Um, but right now I look at it as there's seven locks. There's three. I don't know well, what's the opposite of a lock but non-locks. Detroit, Cleveland, and New York I think are completely out. And then I think Charlotte – I'm on the fence because we don't know what's going to really come of Gordon Hayward here uh, with, with this uh, broken hand. If he misses time, then I'm worried about that. If he's in there, I think he – think Chicago, Charlotte, Orlando, Atlanta, Washington, 8 through 12. You can almost tell me any order. Yep. And I'm like, all right, I can see that um, there. I think Washington and Atlanta are probably a little bit better than the other three. I, and I think Orlando's squarely in right in the middle of that grouping. And I think they're maybe the ones I feel most confident about what they are. Um, I don't think that they're going to be very bad. I also don't think they'll be very good. And I don't think they, I think their floor is somewhat high unless they do a full scale sell off. And I also think they're, um, but I think their ceiling is extremely low as well.
0: Yeah. And they're of the, like a lot of those teams that are in the mix for those final couple spots, like the magic are at least still kind of built to get stops. And you can't really say that about Washington, I wouldn't say that about Charlotte. <laughs> um, definitely <laughs> shouldn't say that about the. I don't. I couldn't even say that about the Hawks. Like you would need yeah. like Hunter and Reddish, and I get like they could build some interesting defensive units, but they're basically pivoted away from like all their interesting defensive youth. Um, I mean Dunn's there too. So, but uh, so and I think that you know defense in the regular season wins games, which is why the yep. Magic have been like such a staple in the middle of the conference rather than the bottom.
3: And you know what? And I I make this point a lot, and I apologize. I think I've said it already a couple times here, but I'm going to say it again. They don't ever (laughs) foul. So just the fact that they don't foul people, they don't give up free points ever. You know, they're kind of consistently in there, just you know, good defensively. Mm -hmm. You know, under Steve Clifford, because they're you just don't get those free points off of them i you know they, they've been you know in the lower i want to say lower third and probably even better than that in uh you know free throws allowed just because they, they don't now on the flip side you never you know catch me maybe other than especially with isaac out every once in a while gordon gets one of those weak side blocks where he sends it you know five rows into the stands and everybody gets all excited um but you get very few of those they're just good positional defenders who are solid they 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 do that. They turn. They block out their man. They get their stop, and they go. They they just don't commit fouls. You know, at uh, any kind of rate. Where you know, it's pretty rare that a magic game is. You know, the other team's in the bonus with you know seven eight minutes to go, and you're like, here we go. This is going to be one of those you know forty five minute long quarters because we're going to shoot a million free throws. That just never happens.
0: Yeah, that's why the the roles for Bamba once he's healthy and um, Cole Anthony this season are so interesting to me because Steve Clifford's thing has always been. Don't foul, which Bomba is going to foul, and then don't turn the ball over too. And, like, as just a rookie yeah. guard with Colante, I think you could assume that there would be turnover issues and that'd be a roller coaster. Yep. Is there anything I did not ask you about these Orlando Magic that you would like to touch upon before I let you go?
3: I mean, we, we didn't get in and do like a full scale breakdown of Dwayne Bacon's game, but that's okay. I don't think, you know, I don't think anybody cares. Um, <laughs> so, no, I'm just being a wise guy with that. No, man, I, I think, you know, they, they are what they are. Right, right. This team is, you know, they're 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 the magic. I guess is the best way to put it. I don't <laughs> I don't have, have any other better way to put it than that. I, I I think that's just what what they are. And you feel like, all right, they're they're, you know, they're not going to be horrible. Um, they're not going to be really good. But you're also probably not tuning in to you know, watch them on a night to night basis because there's just not a lot exciting here. I think um they're one of those teams that when I'm watching them, I'm gonna try to be like, hey, Cole Anthony and Fultz are on the floor together, you know, and try to get, you know, three or four people to at least flip over on League Pass and you know, watch it. But yeah, I, I think, you know, this is probably gonna be a lot more of the same. And then I think we're, you know, another year away from some real evaluation of our right, what what do we do with this roster going forward, and you know where 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 are we headed because I think I think there are definitely um, decisions to be made.
0: And the self reflection can work both ways with this team looking at how they're built, right? Like I think um, the assumption would be oh that they would strip it down and start over, but like they're also like kind of built if they wanted to go all in on a win now player, like they can do that. I don't know if they have the, you mentioned them in the James Harden sweepstakes, um, looking at other potential offers that would, it feels like them winning that would be dependent on the rest of the market. But like, if there's a, another player, like who's just not on the top 10, top 15 level that becomes available, they really could push their chips. in. I don't know that I'd advocate for it, but I don't think that they're tethered to, well, we have to stay in the middle or start over. Like they do have yeah. a path to to try and double down.
3: Well, they're the ones that, that I, um, uh, see you could really throw, um, uh, gosh, how, what is it going to, you could, you could really see them, you know, convincing them, let's get in on Harden, you know, Mm -hmm. let's just see what happens. And that is, you know, that's where we're going to really push and we're going to try, you know, we're, we're going to try, you know, a big home run swing here and see what we can do. And I just don't, Thank you. Know, I don't think that's the way it'll go because I don't think that's the guy they want to have there um, right now, especially as have, you know with what it would cost them. But he—he's a guy that I would you know I would you know love to see them you know make that kind of swing.
0: I would be there for it, and Harden feels like a you know Florida man, James Harden. I would be here for, for that <laughs> version of him. Uh, well, I
3: tell I tell people all the time. James Harden uh, favorite off the court diversion just down the road in Tampa. There's there's lots of it. Uh, there's not as much here here in uh, in Orlando of uh, the the uh, the nightlife clubs that he enjoys. But uh, but just down the road in Tampa, he can get all the fill he wants.
0: Yeah, he could take in a Raptors game and then get all get that's all the it. fill that he wants. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and- that's why Raptors
3: aren't aren't trading for him because they they won't be able to get him to games on time.
0: Um, and as, as long as, by the way, you're talking about um, getting people more eyes on the Magic on League Pass, since you're clearly going to be watching more of the Magic than me, uh, any alert to if they ever do put Aaron Gordon at the five, that would be very much appreciated. That's it. So, I'll so, try
3: to remember that. Don't, don't, uh, don't hold your breath. I'll <laughs> be held responsible if you do because I don't think you're going to see it. <laughs> I'm going
0: to hold out hope that it happens. Uh, That's if, it. Hold
3: out hope, but uh, not but, my breath. But, but yeah. don't, don't be disappointed when you don't get
0: it. If you guys are not following Keith on Twitter already, I don't know what the hell you're doing. Remedy that immediately. (laughs) At Keith Smith, NBA, spelled exactly as it sounds. He covers the NBA for Yahoo Sports, Real GM, Celtics blog, host of the front office show. He wears many hats and he wears them extremely well. And again, he's a fantastic follow on Twitter. At Keith Smith, NBA. Keith, thank you for giving me so much of your time. I really appreciate it. Had a lot of fun. And rest assured, I will definitely be bothering you again sometime in the future.
3: Uh, it was no bother, but I appreciate it. Thanks for having me.
0: Kanata, welcome back to the Hardwood Knox podcast. First and foremost, congratulations on the Hornets not ending up with Obi Toppin, uh, whom <laughs> I told you about for a very long time after we last talked a few months back. So kudos there, ending up with the Ball instead. And equally important, though, how are you doing?
1: Man, everything's cool in the gang, man. We're recording this. I get to talk basketball, Dan, and it— Despite that, we're, we have a Howard Cosell-Muhammad Ali relationship, Dan. Yeah. So therefore, like whenever we have these talks, they, they end up being better than people seem to expect from either one of us, and I don't understand why. But therefore, but these are always fun. And these are great. And so I'm looking forward to talking basketball, man, definitely.
0: Yeah, look, the Hornets had a, a super interesting offseason, and I, I was probably most intrigued by the their draft obviously i think a lot of people thought that they were going to just end up with uh james wiseman as a third pick that was the assumption for so long and then all of a sudden it ends up being Lamelo. so just even before having your impressions of him and just what you've thought about his game so far uh, i know there's been very little preseason basketball but still uh, were you at all like surprised uh that he was still there at number three was that the the guy that you identified that you were hoping that
1: would actually fall to charlotte if they were staying at number three yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, he was the guy. For me, he was the guy that you hoped. Like, I was hoping that Minnesota was going to overthink it and say, we already have a D'Angelo Russell. Why, why put him further off ball? Mm-hmm. I'm glad they overthought it. <laughs> I am supremely happy that Golden State overthought it because I thought that James Wiseman would absolutely be the pick. I am... I am legitimately surprised. I thought he was I thought Lamelo was the best guy in the class because he's a guy that at 6'7 6'8 can get to the rim whenever he wants and as we're seeing now can make things easier for other people. I I, I he was the guy I wanted. And if it wasn't gonna be him, it was gonna be someone like Oye Kongwu. And unfortunately for him, and why he ended up sliding a little bit further than I expected him to. He ended up hurting himself again, working out for the draft, and now he's not ba- He's not expected back anytime soon. But Lamelo was the guy. Lamelo always was the guy for me. The, it, I did find it
0: interesting that uh, I think it was the Charlotte Observer had the report that he just wasn't interviewing well, and I was like, "Well, this just seems like there might be uh, a certain team in Charlotte that's kind of hoping that he gets to to number three at that point." But what were your or what have been your impressions so far? Of Lomelo's game, I think he's, you know, from what little, I've been on mostly a preseason basketball blackout as we record this because I don't want it to influence a project I'm working on right now. But from what I've seen of him, like the passing is clearly transcendent. But I'm wondering what else you've noticed about his game, what you like, um, what your actual concern is for him going into his rookie season. And my, my actually biggest question, and I'm assuming the answer is yes, but is he going to have like the the leeway to really explore himself and plumb the depth of both his skill sets and just, you know, make a bunch of mistakes and play through it?
1: I, the answer is that the answer to that first that last question absolutely is yes. My impressions of him, I he's been better. He's been a better passer than advertised because we've always heard about these guys that are just these awesome playmakers, and they end up doing some pass that just he. It's kind of like he ends up making those passes that you don't necessarily see. Like they're advanced chess moves. They're the move prior to the move that takes the rook. That's what he's doing right now. Or sometimes he just takes the rook. The biggest beneficiary of a guy like that has been Miles Bridges. And Miles Bridges looked a lot better with LaMelo Ball. There's a lot of guys that have looked a, a lot better with LaMelo Ball. And, Dan, since you haven't seen too much of the preseason, this is – I can tell you this and you can appreciate this because you've seen seen—you've seen enough basketball to know. This man has made Bismack Biombo a <laughs> – qualified he makes him look like a qualified finisher in the post that's how good he's been
0: so orlando's about about to give him
1: 64 million dollars next summer is what you're saying (laughs) exactly exactly like the only thing that you worry about with a guy like Lamelo ball is that you wonder if the shot selection which has been dicey at times is going to take over that's the only thing mm-hmm. I actually kind of worry about. But I don't worry about the, the outside shot because the Orlando game kind of, I, I was going to, but then he starts hitting corner threes and then he starts getting into a rhythm and then he goes from there. I really do like his game. I don't think he's going to be this massive bust. I, at minimum, he's what Sean Livingston was for those Warriors. And that's a vital, crucial cog in a title team. At minimum, that's his floor. So I don't ever worry about Lamelo Ball developing. It's just what's he going to develop to and how long is that jump shot potentially going to hold him back into being one of the top 20 players in the league. That's about it. Do you see him being, because he
0: certainly has the size to do it, do you see him like turning into someone who's going to be super disruptive on defense? Where I think, you look at what Lonzo can do in New Orleans where he can like, Get, positionally um, get you three spots worth of defense, really. And LaMelo, I think he's even bigger, if I'm not mistaken. He is. Uh, and the other question I had to that is, do you see him being like a – like how do you see him w- working off the ball, particularly if, you know, the the stroke isn't there? Like do you trust him to be able to work off of Devontae Graham or even, you know, to a lesser extent? Well, Gordon Hayward, of course, and then just another ball handler
1: in general. I, I honestly – um. Disruptive on defense. That was the other thing, and I thank you for bringing up defense. Defensively, he's not as bad as everybody seems to think he is. Everybody got, and this is something that I think people get kind of, and this is just a personal thing, but I think people kind of get enamored or use like certain clips against people to say, oh, he's not that interested in defense to that in the third and not recognizing that these are seventeen-year-old kids knowing they're going to be in the league. Right. This is one of those situations where you're having guys that are talking about, oh, I, I can't wait to get to the league. Again, I might get to the league. I got to work as hard as I... It's not a Grant Riller situation, unfortunately. <laughs> um, and we'll get to Grant Riller. but um, I do, be- I honestly do believe that he was bored because there are defensive instincts, stuff that he's doing off ball. Now, granted, on-ball defense, he's got a long way to go. But off-ball defense, the kid is a savant, and he's doing stuff, and he's helping delay actions. And he hasn't really gotten into the defensive scheme that James Obrego really wants to do just yet. I don't. Again, I'm not Again, I'm not going to say he can't be disruptive. I wouldn't expect it this year. I might not even expect it next year. But if yeah, they... I mean,
0: rookies and sophomores are just historically, they don't have most of them, overwhelmingly so, don't have positive impacts on
1: defense. No, exactly. But I see it like there's tape where you see him flashing in on some on, on a mismatch. And there are things that he does that tells me that he gets it. I'm not sure he's going to be Lonzo, but I'm not sure that he's going to be Leangelo bad on defense. That's what I would tell you. Uh, Leangelo bad is uh, that's like I don't even know. That should never have
0: been considered his worst case outcome. Former well, Detroit exactly. Piston Leangelo ball.
1: Exactly. Former Detroit Piston, Leandro Paul. And I, and again, I might as well curb that because I never know. Leandro might end up on the Greensboro Swarm for all I know. <laughs> um, so,
0: Grant Riller, which I'm obligated to ask about him because my co-host is obsessed with Grant Riller, but also because he ends up being just from where he was projected, and I know this draft is all over the place, some people had him as like a late first round prospect, early second round, and so the, the Hornets got him is kind of interesting. I'm curious if you've dug into his game at all um, and what you might like or or not like about him. I did like, I didn't really look at him at all before the draft and I did some like, uh, look at some of what he did in college uh, before we did this podcast and I feel like his shooting is just going to be all over the place. I think he could probably do you know, some, like, he can Beat some guys with the ball in his hands. Like if he's dribbling up in transition, he feels like he could be a slippery player when when he's off the ball. But I also, this is me being a, a million miles away from the situation. I just don't really see like a um, a path at least this season when you look at the personnel in Charlotte to maybe him playing. Uh, A ton of minutes are having a huge impact and then i don't even know i was trying to find out if anything about his knee injury i couldn't dig up anything on that and so i was curious too if like whether that was considered like serious or just more of a a precautionary thing that they were arresting him for
1: i would tell you that you can tell adam that grant Reller is going to be fine in charlotte for the long for the long term i don't think they expected him to contribute this year He's one of those guys, similar to a Jalen McDaniels now, who's having a really good preseason right now. He's one of those guys, we're going to stick him in Greensboro, he's going to learn the system, he's going to learn how to be an NBA pro, and he's going to learn with a guy named Nick Friedman, who I think I've mentioned on this podcast before, um, who's their developmental coach, and who has now turned around Devontae Graham, and you will understand the name of Jalen McDaniel this year. I, I think you're gonna under there are gonna be some guys and I think Grant Riller I I liken him more to a Jeremy Lynn. And I'm not talking about Linsanity Lin Sanity where he was just exploding everywhere and scoring on everybody and then you had like there will be no Riller Mania. <laughs> maybe from Adam, maybe from Adam, maybe that. But in terms of like in just just in terms of what Riller can do I think he's going to stick I just don't think it'll be this year Mm -hmm. so I wouldn't worry about it the knee injury is something that I didn't notice up until I saw the game the um, box score the official box score from uh, the Orlando game on Thursday they've been really super quiet about that so I don't know if it's serious I don't know what it is but at this point I wouldn't worry about Grant Riller if he i think he's going to be a player for for the Charlotte Hornets it's just not going to be this year and that's and that's completely okay for right now
0: the other uh rookie on the roster that really intrigues me is Vernon Carey Jr uh there were but, there are a few teams that were really high on him and the Knicks specifically traded up with the intention of getting him only to see Charlotte then take him uh watching him i don't i want do you have any impressions of his game he feels like a an oddity to me, like where he looks like a big and is built like a big, but he feels like he's like a below the rim wing. Am I just completely off base there?
1: You're not completely wrong. You're not completely wrong. Uh they gave him the most the Charlotte Hornets drafted him and then gave him the most guaranteed money of any second rounder this year. They did that with a purpose. It was a four year deal. I truly believe they see something in him. He's another guy that I would not be surprised if you don't see a, a single minute for him in this regular season. I would not be surprised if he goes to Greensboro, wherever the G League is, and gets a full year of seasoning, and then he comes out next year. It's either again, it's either him or Riller that comes out of Green the Greensboro system to be ready to be an NBA prospect. So I see what they see in him. I wonder if they're going to have to continue to work on his footwork on defense. His footwork right. on offense is awesome. And he's a face-up guy. And low-key, the EYBL, during the EYBL season, and the only reason I know this is because I, I, I was doing research on it, he gave Wiseman buckets. And you watch that tape, and it's like, okay, I see exactly what he was, he was doing Unfortunately, he was miscast at Duke as a big man. Stop me if you heard that before, by the way. <laughs> um, but the other thing is just I really do believe that he's going to be their guy. I understand why they picked him there. I personally wouldn't have, but they ended up getting Riller later in the, in the draft. So I'm okay with it. I see what they were going for. And there's him, and then there's another guy, Nick Richards, who – i think has got a longer way to go but i see what they were trying to do they were trying to get bigs in here for the future they weren't meant to matter this year they still have cody zeller they still have bismack biombo and if is gonna make both those guys look good and get those guys paid because they're both on essentially on one-year deals then hey makes kind of makes sense so i i'm i'm here for what they're gonna do in terms of big man development going forward and as long as Vernon Carey just continues the path of what Greensboro has done for a lot of people, he should be just fine. I think uh, this will anger Adam. I
0: I like him a lot better than I like Grant Riller, and I think it's just because guys with size who have a floor game, like a face-up floor game mm-hmm. on offense, those are just going to pique my attention more. I don't see it. And again, I'm probably shin-deep. Like That's as high as I went into Vernon Carey research, so I'm not going to claim to be an expert here. I don't know that I see it on defense, though, And we get caught up in positions, but I just don't know what's going to end up being best for him um, to defend. And I don't like uh, you mentioned his footwork and I look at him just didn't he didn't seem quick enough to like keep up with like maybe these um, more explosive fours or anything. But then I'm like, well, is he going to be someone who kind of is able to even hold up against fives because, yeah, he kind of has the, the size to do that. So I really would worry about him there, but just looking at what he's able to do. On offense, uh, he's the one that interests me more of the the non Lamello rookies that they have right now.
1: No, he, he he does. He interests me as well. But the one um the one thing that I do know, and this is something I got from a friend of mine that, that was covered that covers Dugan up there before the draft, he was working on his footwork defensively. Like that was one of the points of emphasis. Is that he got a trainer and started working on his um his footwork. Lost 30 pounds between the end of the college season and the draft. So I'm not worried about it because if it's a nutrition thing and he's working on defense, his defensive footwork, I think he can do just enough. I know that they're probably, whoever they were going to draft, and I think this is the other thing, whoever they were going to draft in the, from a big man perspective, because I know that the Hornets were enamored. like They didn't expect LaMelo Ball to be there, but they ended up, they wanted Wiseman, and it, if they had to pick between Lamelo and Wiseman, they would have picked Wiseman. I do believe that whoever they were going to draft big man Wise, if it was including James Wiseman, was going to have to be one of those guys that you're just going. They were going to have to coach footwork into defensive footwork into, and to be better at defending the switch because I know Barrego for a fact loves switching on every pick-and-roll and blitzing every pick-and-roll if they have to and re- and going from recovery. The big man part was always going to be a weakness. So I think working with a guy like Vernon Carey, you can teach a lot more and be a little bit more stricter than if had you drafted a guy like James Wiseman to do that as well. So, I, one, I feel like I deserve like a
0: hypothetical fist bump for waiting a few minutes to ask you about Gordon Hayward. and you, two. Um, I want to. I want to clarify my stance before I throw it to you because mm-hmm. um, I was surprised at how much shit I caught for what I said about Gordon Hayward like somewhat semi immediately after the uh, his contract was signed. And I will once say I appreciate that people listen to our Charlotte Hornets takes on this podcast. So shout out. And I am not like even like the the heated uh, people in my DMs. Like they were. I, I I appreciate them caring enough to be that angry. And Mm -hmm. I honestly do. I don't have a problem with Gordon Hayward, the player on the Hornets in timeline or the way he plays. Uh, I viewed it just as a mishandling of assets uh, because you end up waving and stretching Batum, who is now on your books for an additional two years, albeit Mm -hmm. at a smaller number. And I know cap space is not as important in Charlotte. And I wasn't under the guise that they were going to win 2021 free agency or anything like that. I just, when you're overpaying a player, uh, Relative to what his market was going to be, going that extra length of we are going to wave and stretch Nick Batum, that's where that's where it went off the rails for me. I wouldn't have paid Gordon Hayward the money in a vacuum had they just flat out been able to do it um at that moment in time. However, th- that's where it became verging on, if not absolutely indefensible, that decision making there. So I was curious as to where you land on this.
1: I understand where you were coming from. I really, really, really understand where you were coming from when you had the take. And was, which is why you never heard from me on it. Because I thought it was a fair take. Because I had that same, initially, I had that same reaction to it. Where I differ on this is, and this is something that we, again, sometimes we do from a national perspective, from a local perspective sometimes is, we don't seem to understand the human aspect of it. That you actually have to at least show that you're trying. And that's the big thing. Like, you got to remember that this team let Kemba Walker basically go for nothing. and right. Or or, bet, or let them go and let them go at, or got Terry Rozier in, in, in return, who's also been better than advertised. He
0: had a really good year last season. I still, the, the Kemba Walker stuff, and that was part of my Gordon Hayward take. Like, that's, I'm never going to, like, I'm never going to defend that. But Terry Rozier had a really good
1: season last year. But you also have to show the young guys, the Miles Bridges, the Malik Monks, the guys that you want to keep, that you're actually trying. Because one thing I think we're forgetting is that no one wants to be a part of an experiment to, in a rebuild. No, Especially when the CBA is what it is right now, where these players are probably giving up anywhere up to 10% in escrow. And probably not going to see that. So if you're going to lose money, you are going to go, want to go to a winning product. And the big thing that I think we all forgot is that the Charlotte Hornets have no credibility in the league. And they don't have any credibility within their own building with some of those players. And I think the Gordon Hayward thing was necessary to buy, at least buy some credibility to say, hey, guys, hey, hey, rest of the league, we are actually trying. We have to do this. Because when you have a Montrezl Harrell and you offer him legitimately, from what anywhere from what I heard, anywhere from 15 to 18 million a year, and he says Nah, I'm good, I'm just gonna go go play for the Lakers. Like when that happens, you got to do something. When Harry Giles goes and takes the league minimum with Portland instead of probably taking a four or five million dollar deal with the Hornets, you got to like you have to do something because no one thinks you're legitimate. And how much is legitimacy going to cost in this case? It's $40 million a year to say, hey, guys, we're trying. We're not going to be the franchise that we used to be. And we're going to at least attempt to win and show that you can develop and win. And at the same time, buy relevance around the league. Because there are going to be more t- more games on TV because of one Lamelo, two Gordon Hayward.
0: So... I just how much legitimacy does Gordon Hayward add to that though? And my other thing would be as you mentioned development, I think that might be like a bigger um argument in their favor like to prove that they can take, you know, a Jalen McDaniels, like if they could fast forward and that's not going to happen overnight if you jump, you know, ahead a year or two from now and Jalen McDaniels is even better, like that's and even Devonte Graham, like those should be more impactful success stories. So I—and I don't view Gordon Hayward as the guy that says, oh, hey, we're trying. Like, I just don't view it in those terms. And I also would say, if you were going to try to send that message, um, it's probably more difficult to do after the what happened with the Kemba Walker stuff, I would argue. I think people are going to remember that before they remember that you overpaid Gordon Hayward. And I think—and I and I know nationally— um, we always tend to over-romanticize rebuilds and say, well, they should just be as bad as possible. This kind of felt like the year to do that, because I don't think arenas are ever going to be full at any point during the season. Agreed. And, and Gornhay was not putting butts in seats anyway. Like, maybe he'll put a few more, but I don't think he's that type of a draw. And so, uh, looking ahead of the 2021 class, it's like, Why not just be just just be bad this year and then you can try and do something like this? I will acknowledge one of the counterpoints, and I'm sure you have many, would just be like Gordon Hayward's not uplifting your team to the point where they're so good that they're falling out of um, you know, contention of a top whatever pick you wanna say, like I would say between five and eight. Like I would still put them in that range, uh, at least odds wise, because the lottery's wild. Now, So I I recognize that. And if you're going to give uh, as long as you're giving LaMelo adequate influence over the offense because he's a rookie, uh, that's going to lend itself to being organically but entertainingly bad. So I understand I might be overhyping that aspect. This just did not feel like the summer to do what they did.
1: I would agree with you. But when you start going back through the press conferences, especially early in the season, Gordon Hayward was a target of this of this team regardless. So he was going to get overpaid. He was going to get that thirty million a year from the Hornets, regardless. He was going to get it, and I agree that they're not gonna. It's not going to be very competitive. But at the same time, one, I don't think how pop you get, how popular that uh, Gordon Hayward was going to be in this town, specifically Charlotte. He was going to move jerseys, and he was going to get guys out there. That's that's an indictment on whatever you want to say about Charlotte. And I, I understand what I'm saying about that. At the same time, I think the best possible scenario for the Hornets, and this is something I really do believe is going to happen, they get to the 10 seed, they get to the play-in, play-in tournament, and then they get knocked out, but they show that they've at least gotten to a national point. The I really do think people needed to understand that this team is at least sem- semi-serious. I don't think they're that good of a team. And also, at the same time, you can't be outright bad. Cleveland's tried that for 2 years straight right now and where and the highest pick they've gotten is what, 5? Like at this point it's better to be competitive and bad and then risk it, risk your life to the lottery gods than be outright bad and then end up picking 5th or 6th and not getting the star that you're actually looking for. So I I understand that it's a bad bad draw but at the same time I think this team is figuring out that it's better to be competitive and bad than just outright bad. And I think that's how you game the system. And in in uh, other terms, I do believe that this this new lottery system is going to influence guys that you can't be outright bad. It's not going to help you. So until you realize that you're competitive and bad, and I don't think the Knicks have learned that lesson yet, you're <laughs> not going to be picking in the, in the top three so I never thought of
0: it as a means of highlighting like the team in a way where it's, Oh, if there are more people who take the Hornets seriously because they're slightly better than they thought, that's a way to accentuate like the stuff that they've done in house with their development. So that's, that's super interesting to me. I will, how I will eat some crow too. If they're going to be in the plan, I just didn't expect that from them. Uh, so that would be something that if you get there, uh, I don't know what the value necessarily is of that, but it would exceed my expectations. Uh, I still, I don't know that anyone's going to ever talk me into this overall. And I think part of it might just be, I don't know what the, you know, the final two years of this deal are going to look like, uh, you know, if the first two years they have a chance to be, I wouldn't say like he'll coordinate, will be worth it, but I'd be curious to see what the, the, the last two years look like just given the, and I know some of them have been mostly like freak and unrelated injuries, but just the sheer number of injuries and yeah. setbacks that he's had over the past three years.
1: I get. I don't think this deal ends well, but I don't think the Batoon deal was going to end well. And I, I don't think I ever expected it. I expected them to be traded this year. I don't expect this to go. I don't think, like, when, when we go back and look at the history of these big contracts, how many of them have, quote unquote, ended well? Like, very few, right? Yeah, no, that's a great point. Like, none of these generally end well. They end up stretched or waived or, the best case scenario, a salary dump at the end of the year. They don't end amicably. So I don't know why we expect it in this case as well. So until, like, I guess where we're at with these big contracts is you're not really going to have these really great contracts that end well. And I don't think... Like I think I I do agree with you that there's going to be those two guys those those first two years that are going to be awesome, the third year is going to be mild, and then the fourth year, if he's if he does decently, then okay, that's great, and then he goes on his way back to Utah to retire or something like that, or he re-ups here. He loves it here, and he re-ups. I just don't think at this point with what he does, like he's here to accelerate the growth curve of a Devontae Graham. He's going to be here to accelerate he's going to be here to i would say accelerate the growth curve of a lamella ball. He's going to do a lot of this stuff that helps a lot of the other younger guys and raises expectations for them in that locker room to say, "Hey, this is how we do this. This is how you do that." And not necessarily be the vocal leader, but be the quiet leader. Be the guy that they need that to show them how to work, how to expect, and how to win. And granted, Gordon's seen that only from a third banana fourth banana standpoint for a decent part of it but at the same time I think that still matters to say hey I've been around winning organizations this is how you do this this is how you do that and from a player standpoint I do believe that experience is invaluable at times and that's
0: where the one thing that I actually do like about it is he seems like the idea of him feels like a good fit for LaMelo, um Devontae Graham, j- just other guys on this roster who might be handling the ball because he's going to take pressure away from them and like uh I th- people yeah the defense is at some point going to if not right away going to focus more on LaMelo but Hayward's like that safety valve where no I he was, first of all he was never a guy who put a ton of pressure on the rim uh and he's like in space, he's just not the same as he was before that first devastating leg injury, which is fine, but his in-between game is so good. Um, he can hit catch-and-shoot threes. He's he's a good passer, and so I'm wondering if that, um, if you agree, like, that sort of, uh, I don't, I don't want to just boil it down to attention, but, like, having that other outlet on offense in the half court, if that ends up helping Lamella Ball a great deal through, like, you know, let's say the first two
1: years of his career. Oh, absolutely, it'll help him a lot. I, the one guy, like, I think it helps him, but I also think it helps a guy like Terry Rozier, who has familiarity with him. And I also think it helps a Devontae Graham, who, at the end of the day, is still the starting point guard for this team. I don't think LaMelo is going to start this year unless there's injury. I don't. I think with LaMelo, as much as we like him, I think we have to pump the brakes. Because Devontae was playing at a close to an at least an all-star level at the first half of last season. And granted, he exploded onto the scene, scene, and then once teams started getting tape on him and started figuring how to slow him down, they got a little bit better at it. But I think Devontae Grant, when we have these conversations about LaMelo Ball necessarily exploding and starting, I would tell you to pump your brakes and tell you wait till March before we have a conversation about him legitimately taking over. I would also tell you that When we have these conversations about what Gordon Hayward does, Gordon Hayward's going to help a lot of guys out. I do believe Gordon Hayward, like the biggest beneficiary to me for him might be P.J. Washington, who who in a pick-and-pop game, pick-and-roll game, that's kind of hard to defend. And especially if you have a guy like Devontae Graham as a release valve to hit a deep three, which he did pretty well. Mm -hmm. So I would say Gordon Hayward helps just being that off ball creator he's actualized what nick batum was supposed to be for this team <laughs> and i that that's the way the best way i would tell you that because i would expect 18 5 and like shooting like probably 40 37 if he got that from gordon hayward in the first year i think you'll be okay
0: Uh, Does the offseason that they have where you are adding Hayward, who can handle the ball, you draft Lamelo, obviously, you have Grant Miller. Does it say anything about the future of Devontae Graham who's going to be a free agent or even just Ty Rozier, who has two years left on his deal, or even just a a Malik Monk? Because it does feel a little bit crowded sort of in that area, and Hayward's not in the backcourt, and maybe you can get some three minutes from uh, Lamelo in in certain spots, but it does kind of feel like at least one of those guys is going to end up being the the odd man out in the short term. And I don't think it would be Devonte in a vacuum. But I'm curious if you um would view the Hornets as considering like he and Lamelo is that like a long term foundation for them, or is there a chance just given that Devonte Graham is going to get paid the the next off season, that he becomes a trade candidate or someone that they could even just let walk in, in free
1: agency. I've been trying to do the math on who gets left out for the better part of... Since, since basically, LaMelo was drafted. Because it feels like there's an odd man out. I don't believe it's Malik Monk, because I believe Mitch Kupchak, when he says he's still one of the most talented guys on the roster. And I do believe they, they plan on figuring out what Malik Monk can be. I don't think it's Devontae Graham, because, again, Devontae Graham is probably the biggest shining example of what they've done with Greensboro in development. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's Terry Rozier because it, I, I and I've made this joke and I kind of semi-believe this James Borrego figured out what to do with Terry Rozier better than Brad Stevens has and that's something that we don't talk about enough. I I really do wonder at this point who's the odd guy out. My My guess is because the way he's looked thus far in preseason, Terry Rozier doesn't stay to the trade deadline. And that's not a fault of his own. I do believe that Terry Rozier has played really, really well. I just think that there's going to be a team that comes calling, maybe Milwaukee, I don't know, that's going to need that off-ball scoring that Terry Rozier brings and just a guy that is just not afraid. And I do believe Terry Rochier is on his way out, but it'll be no, through no fault of his own. And I do, And I want to say this, I don't want to trade him. I really don't. But I think there's going to be a team that's going to offer a pick. And the fact that he's only on the books for a year and a half at 18, which is starting to seem like accurate a, accurate value for the guy. I kind of, like I said, I kind of like him. I kind of like him, but I don't think Terry Rochier is going to be here long term. And I think the Hornets will be poor for it. But they're going to need to open up those minutes.
0: Yeah, I'd say his money is—I would still peg on the higher end. But if he's going to hit forty-six percent of his catch and shoot threes and just be super plug and play on the offensive end and give you some, you know, a semblance of like really motor and activity on defense, I would think that I don't know how big of a commodity he becomes at the trade deadline. But I would think I—I um, I don't, and I don't even know that I would predict that he would get moved. I'm actually surprised that he would be your pick. I really, honestly thought it would be Monk um, or even. Graham before then just because maybe they were nervous about the money he's gonna command in free agency, having been the team that overpaid Gordon Hayward, there's gonna be more teams with money next season. So the only mm-hmm. it only takes one team mantra is more like, well, there might be three teams that are willing to pay him that type of deal. So that's interesting that you think it'll be Rosier. I would agree with you that his money is not like the detriment it was painted as um
1: by any stretch at the time of the Kemba Walker sign and trade. Here's the here's the thing, Dan, here's the question I would actually ask you. Would you rather have Rogier at 18 or Rubio at 13? I would rather have Rubio at 13, just looking I, at, I, I think, with his playmaking
0: and what he does for defense. But I get that the shooting aspect is tough. Like, that's, it, I would have to think about it for more than the half second that I gave you there.
1: <laughs> like, that's the thing. That's, that's what – because I, I really do believe that was the option. And I think when we talked about this initially, like, the names that were brought up that I had heard were literally Emmanuel Moutier. That was the guy that was supposed to be the Kemba replacement. And, I, and to end up with a guy like Terry Rogier instead, uh, you did kind of well. You, uh, I mean, Mitch Kupchak has done magic. Mitch Kupchak, outside of the Gordon Hayward thing, which was clearly a Michael thing, has managed to keep Michael <laughs> at bay. So that matters. That matters to keep your ownership group away from the checkbook when it comes to free agent time. That stuff matters. Go ask the Knicks. And i hate to clown on the knicks but the knicks are, are are clearly one of the teams that does this a lot like if your gm can keep the ownership group out of out of the way as much as possible then that matters i mean and and granted the, that could go the other way because look at sacramento sacramento again vivek Ran- Ran- ranadive has stayed away but unfortunately he hired vladi who <laughs> what he did Yeah. so I mean there's got to be that balance and so far I'm not saying the Hornets have that balance but I'm saying it's headed that I I really do believe it's headed that way right now and considering that the Knicks can make me look stupid in public I'm not not the Knicks but the Hornets can make me look stupid in public on this move I like I like the way they're going I just I don't think it'll be Devonte because I think if they send Devonte packing remember how we talk about messages to the the locker room I think it also that also sends a bad message to the
0: Yes, let's uh, give Gordon Hayward all this money and then someone who's just more homegrown, uh, peace out. Yeah,
1: yeah, like, I don't think you can do that and not have that come back and bite you. And I know that for a fact there were really sour feelings about how the Kemba, depart, Kemba Walker departure happened. We've had Mama Walker talk about this publicly about how bad this ended so i do think that Devonte, you, you they're gonna have to pay a guy and i do think it's gonna end up being i, I do kind of believe it's gonna end up being Devonte, and we'll see when it comes to miles because miles is i think like extension eligible starting next year so that matters too
0: but to your miles bridges point he's uh someone who for some reason i believe has always been in the league one year longer than he's actually been in the league <laughs> i had him on like my extension eligible list for this upcoming offseason uh only to then realize that he's only been in the league for two years what are your expectations for him this season it does seem like he's going to play more four, um unless i'm wrong there and that's definitely um better suited for him i think he's you know when you look at if for those power drives that he could do he feels like more of a mismatch there but how do you like that defensively? What do, what do you kind of just view for him and, and his role on this team moving forward?
1: I honestly see him as, like, this This off season, this preseason has shown me that this guy is a powerful, like, he's done all the dirty work. And he's never really done all the dirty work, like, taking charges. To, again, be, basically, he doesn't have to guard the best player on on offense anymore. And I think he's realizing his role. I now granted PJ Washington has been better, and they're going to try this small ball lineup that I absolutely loathe, which is PJ Washington, Miles Bridges, Hayward, Rogier, and Devontae Graham. They're gonna score a whole bunch of points. They're also going to give up a whole bunch of points as well. I I kind of I, I worry about that. I worry about that, that kind of matchup and everything else like that. But I am one of those guys that believes that P, that Miles Bridges has a future on this roster. I, I do worry that P.J. is kind of in the way. But from what we've seen thus far, he's become a much better defender, much better team defender. He's, become, he's getting to hit more than the just left corner three. And I think he's going to be a guy that you're going to say—I'm not going to say he's going to be M.I.P., Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't be surprised if he got MIP consideration because oh, wow. I do think him and him and Lamelo. I think LaMelo's going to unlock something in Miles Bridges this year, and that's where this really gets interesting going forward for him. You kind of already
0: touched on this, but what are your thoughts, concerns, general impressions of you know the PJ Washington at the five lineups? Do you see any sort of path to those groups working on defense? Is though they got annihilated in the you know it was a small sample size last year that he was playing center and the rebounding was was terrible does that at least get any easier that now if you know if you have a healthy Hayward if you have you know is a good rebounder for his position or
1: um you kind of already hinted at like you're not the biggest fan of those lineups in general I, I'm not because I I still think that rebounding matters and people have told me well, rebounding doesn't matter nearly as much as you think it only costs you so much so many more points but if you can score on offense then it negates it and I don't necessarily agree with that because if you're giving up consistent rebounds twice, three times a game, where that it's like a demoralized, you give up that demoralizing offensive rebound that matters. And especially with a team that's conf, confidence for all intents and purposes right now is kind of fragile. So I don't think it's a good idea. I'm not the biggest fan of it. Maybe they, they convince me of it, but from what I've seen and from what the numbers have seen, I'm I'm not the biggest fan and I the best the biggest indictment of this and maybe PJ Washington's rebounding. I remember watching him get boxed out by 5'9 Isaiah Thomas. And I love Isaiah Thomas. But when Isaiah Thomas beat you to a board, like that's that's something that I can't necessarily forgive or forget. Dan, you understand where I'm coming from, right?
0: Yeah, there's uh there, there's an element of uh, it, unforgivable embar- embarrassment of getting boxed out by someone who's five nine.
1: Yeah, like I, I can't do it. Like you're supposed to be the big man. You're supposed to grab the board, and then you get boxed out by by it. No, that can't happen, man. That can't. And unfortunately for him, like that's the indelible mark. And unfortunate, and he he's the guy. If you're if we, you're gonna ask me who's the guy that possibly takes a step back, but tries more things. Like whose efficiency takes a dip? It's P.J. Washington because he's got to do he's got entirely too much on his plate, and unfortunately, I don't think the the backups, I don't think the help that's going to come to maybe force him back into the four spot is coming anytime soon. And unfortunately, when we start talking about people that get squeezed out, there's going to be a legitimate discussion. I'm not sure if it's going to be this year or next year where you're going to have to make a decision. Do you keep Miles or do you keep PJ? Do you keep Miles or do you keep PJ? And at some point, they're going to have to make that decision. And I don't know how you make that decision, especially if Miles takes off.
0: And you don't see, like, kind of having Hayward and even LaMelo there is streamlining PJ's offensive role even further just because he seemed like such a comfy fit for them last year. It was a lot more plug-and-play than – I thought he was going to be, and again, I'm not like super into college basketball, so take that impression with a with a grain of salt. And then even just like kind of the, uh, you know, the finesse he kind of had with with the ball in his hands too. It felt like he would be the one that they'd be higher on, in the the aggregate than than even Miles Bridges.
1: The one wor- aspect where you do worry about is that when PJ Washington has to put the ball on the deck, that's where it gets kind of dicey for him where that's where miles has the advantage as a small ball four, miles can put that, put the ball on the deck and play make he's done it before he's done it consistently in preseason this year. I like what he does off the, uh, that's the only aspect where I can say miles has a clear advantage. If PJ does that, then, Hey, we have a whole different type of stew that we're cooking here. But until he does that, that's probably the one aspect where miles has an advantage or a guy like Jalen McDaniels who can play the 3 and the 4 has an advantage. Like those are the type of plays that he's missing from his game right now. And if he gets those, and granted they're going to you're going to have to be willing to suffer through a lot of turnovers to get to that point where he's more comfortable putting the ball in the deck. But if he gets there, that's I'm not going to say he's a all NBA talent, but he's one of the better 4 or 5s in the league if he can put a, put the ball in the deck and playmake a little bit better. Is
0: there room for Cody Martin, Caleb Martin, and Jalen McDaniels all in the rotation? And if not, uh, who would be the odd man out? I think I can safely say it won't be Jalen McDaniels looking at all he projects to do for them. But is there room for all three of them to get minutes
1: on this team? No. No, there isn't. I I don't believe. And this is where it gets interesting because I think Cody Martin is a rotation guy on this team. I believe Jalen McDaniel is a rotation guy on this team. I don't see a way for Caleb Martin to make significant headway, especially over a guy like Malik Monk, who can do a few more things a little bit better. Caleb Martin feels like trade filler. And I don't know, and I hate to say it that way, but he feels like trade filler because if you've paid attention to the Mitch Kupchak era, he's never really made an in-season trade. This year... With 14 guys on the active roster and intentionally left open spot and $4 million. This year feels like the year where they make that end season trade. What it's for, I don't know. But I do Julius not know. Julius believe... Randle is what you're getting at, isn't it? I hope not.
0: <laughs> I was just kidding there. I hope not. I got to start throwing that into the. Uh... You know, into the ether because something's going to happen to the Knicks. They already ended up with Obi Toppin instead of Tyrese Halliburton, and now I'm now I'm trolling you with Julius Randle. They're probably no, going to no, end you up see, for...
1: Dan, you see? This is your fault. You were hoping Halliburton was going to drop to you, and you talked to me about Obi Toppin all this time, and then here you go, and then they pick Obi Toppin over Ty- Tyrese Halliburton, which didn't make a lick of sense, and now you're starting Emmanuel quickly at the point guard spot. Which I is will even say funnier.
0: Emmanuel quickly looks really good. But, yes, I Halliburton is like, I, I will die
1: for Tyrese Halliburton. So, uh, <laughs> I was very yeah. disappointed. Yeah, and, I mean, you have old friend Michael Kidd-Gilchrist up there, who's getting a roster spot, clearly. Uh, I, mean, I mean, I don't know. When it comes to just this team, there are a lot of guys, and we've already talked about, the, especially the guard depth on this team, there are a lot of guys that need homes and need consistent minutes. Malik Monk is the one among them. Caleb Martin, who I think is an NBA player, is among them. But right for right now, the way this team is built, the strength is at the guards. You have guys that can be all, and are, I would call them, rotational pieces on championship teams. I do believe that about Devontae Graham, even if even if I'm not certain. He is a start. His best role is at a start is as a starting point guard for a championship team. I think he's going to be really, really good. I do worry about again. Terry Rozier has had a great season in Charlotte, and he'll probably he figures to have another good one because he's come into this he's come into this pre short preseason guns ablazing and, and looks super efficient while doing so. I would I, again, Lamelo's going to get minutes because he's a number three pick and he's just uber special right now. Cody Martin brings something different because Cody Martin defends and can hit threes now at a decent clip. I'm not saying a great clip. I'm saying decent. If you give him an open three, he will hit it right now. That's something that you couldn't say about him last year. Jalen McDaniel gives you something different because he's 6'10", and he can guard three, four, and maybe a little bit of five, depending on who the five is. He And also, he's a guy that, hits again, hits threes. When we start talking about folks that aren't going to be as good, and the guy that you worry about is Caleb Martin. Mm -hmm. And that when it comes to that, he's just a little bit like, and the thing is, you have to make the decision between him or Malik Monk of who's going to get the remaining minutes. And for right now, I would take Malik Monk. It's close. It's closer than I'd like to admit, but I would take Malik Monk
0: is so of the looking so looking at Malik Monk and let's say Cody Martin and Jalen McDaniels is I think I'm most intrigued by McDaniels long term is that is that accurate you kind of there just seems like yeah I was I think I might have been at Cody towards the end of last season just because I felt like his game was more well-rounded but the the three-point shot from McDaniels feels real and there's always like a play or three of the games that I've seen in Charlotte where he just does something where it's like, you know what, PJ Washington wouldn't have gotten that offensive rebound uh, or just anything along those lines. And as you mentioned, the three-point shot, and I, I think that's real. Like, that seems pretty clearly just the way he's he's taking them and um, even some of the preseason stuff that I, I watched of him, it's just like it feels so f- fluid now. And so if you're able to just buy into that, it feels like he should probably be the most tantalizing player long
1: term. Um, of the three, if you told me I had to buy stock on Jalen McDaniel, Cody Martin, and Malik Monk, it's Jalen McDaniel, and I would be surprised to say that. I think Cody Martin is... I don't want to call him Travion Graham, because Travion Graham's done really, really well for himself in this league, despite being undrafted. I really, 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 really like Jalen McDaniel's game, because he's he's 6'10", and he shoots threes, and he defends decently. He has brain lapses at times, on defense, but those can be ironed out with more playing time and film. Jalen McDaniels actualized, and we're talking about a guy that fully gets it. Is a guy that plays in this league for decade, for at least a decade, if not a little bit longer. Because six ten shoots threes and defends. Those guys get paid no matter what. They generally get paid a lot of money right. down the line. So I, if you're going to tell me buying buying into the future, it's Jalen McDaniels. And it's not close. There, I am. To make this clear, and I always
0: come from this point, I am super pro players getting paid, but Charlotte has the way they've structured the contracts of every single one of these guys, put themselves in a position where they don't have to choose right away if they don't want to, just because Jalen McDaniels has, he's under team control if they want for three more seasons, including this one, and they have two seasons of uh, both Cody and, and Caleb Martin, and then they kind of, you know, they did that. Same thing. It's guaranteed money, but it's such small money. But you look at, like, Vernon Carey Jr., you know, four years of just straight team control if they want it. So I will say that from a team perspective. I want players to get paid. I'll make that clear. From a team perspective, though, they've given themselves, like, just a ton of of optionality and potentially, like, bargain bin deals to offset that that albatross right now at the top of the roster.
1: And that's the thing. I'm not sure it's an albatross because, like like I'll continue to say, I don't think this ends with word in Charlotte. I don't believe that. I do believe that. I think the three the three years where you're paying that extra ten million because of you wanted to get rid of Nick Batum's contract. I think those three years are going to be on the books. And if that's the case, and that's just one bad year, then you're looking at one year. I like I said. I don't think that the Hayward contract is going to be as bad as people think, because I don't think they're going to be as big of a player next year four guys and if they do acquire somebody that may be the year they acquire someone via trade because i don't think that and also we're talking about this like this team cannot couldn't go go to the uh playing game get rocked come out and end up with a top three to five pick because of it the uh, I made this joke with uh,
0: someone I was talking to off-air when we were recording a podcast that the, the funniest outcome of all this is Hayward having a really good season and then Charlotte sending him to Indiana for the package that uh, the Celtics turned down, where it was basically McDermott, Turner, and a first-round pick. I said that would be the most hysterical outcome of this entire thing.
1: I wouldn't be surprised if that ends up happening. Well, I, I legitimately would not be surprised if that ends up happening because that's the kind of thing that would happen. And I am I know the Miles Turner isn't that good as gone around social media, but if you told me that we ended up with Miles Turner and a, another guy that can space the floor and put P.J. in his proper position and then solidly put Miles Bridges as your super sub six-man mm-hmm. of the year, I like that team, especially when you it adds a Cody Martin who then starts... And then let's Lamelo get more time, and you have a top seven of Devonte Graham, Terry Rozier, um, Devonte Graham, T- Terry Rozier, Cody Martin, P.J. Washington, Miles Turner, Lamelo Ball, Miles Bridges. I like that seven going forward, at least for, and not necessarily as a competitive. Oh, they're going to make the playoffs, but as a competitive, oh, let's do this and ma- let's go, let's be a top ten seed in the East. And go play the playing game and get somebody, get people excited about this team for the first time in a long time. The you bring up a fantastic point. The Miles Turner
0: discourse has gotten out of control, and I don't ever want to oversimplify things. But it feels like unlocking him is really just a matter of um, where he's standing and volume. Where it's like, hey, yeah. don't dribble inside the arc and take a long two, or don't hover in, in long two range where you don't have the ball. And just just fire away from three, and I think Nate Bjorkgren might bring that out in him. But uh, that's just a that's an odd aside. I did mean to ask you this: the fractured finger on, on Hayward's shooting hand. Is there any impression of like how you know serious that is? They, is it just going to be a pain tolerance thing, where they don't expect him to miss too much time to start the
1: year? Will he miss? I, any I don't time? expect him. I don't expect him to miss time. I don't. I expect him to play on the twenty third. Quite honestly, opening game against Cleveland, I'd expect him to play. I think. I think the one thing is I would watch his shooting numbers. I would watch his shooting numbers because it's, it's a fractured pinky to, pinky uh, on on, his, on a shooting hand. I would watch his shooting numbers. But outside of that, I think he's going to play.
0: There's You kind of already mentioned that you expect Terry Rozier to be gone by the deadline. Is there an element of that with uh... – and I, it can't be the same element, but Cody Zeller's in a contract year. Their center position kind of dictates that they need him, but just because he's in a contract year, if he's healthy, I feel like he's a name that's going to pop up in a lot of midseason scenarios.
1: Ken, I, I, I'm glad I have this to... to um, I, I'm glad I have your platform to say this right now. But I need people to understand that this that Cody Zeller is not going to be a buyout candidate. He's a trade candidate at best, and if they don't trade him they're probably going to keep him and sign him to a, a, a more market-appropriate deal. I, I just don't see any of the centers have being being bought out unless Vernon Carey makes steps. Um, I don't see Cody Zeller being traded unless a guy like Vernon Carey or Nick Richards makes a step towards it, or the small lineup actually dictates that, hey, we might have to go with this lineup a little bit more for right now. I don't see it right now because... Biz, and, and I said this on Locked on Hornets uh, the other, other day, Biz and Cody are, right now are necessary, quote-unquote, evils. Like, you have to have them there because, unfortunately, that you need defense and rebounding. And the one thing that Cody Zeller and Biz Mac Beyond will give you right now are, are defense and rebounding. So until that no longer becomes a case and someone else on the roster can do that, or they can add someone that can do that on the roster— this is not going to be a situation where you can necessarily deal with Cody Zeller unless you're not trying to win anymore. And if you're not trying to win anymore, that contradicts exactly what you've been doing since the beginning of this off season. So that's why I don't see it happening unless Cody comes to the team, asks for a buyout. And even then I don't see that happening. That's how, that's how much I really do believe he's either going to be on this team or if they trade him, is because someone else has come up and developed in a way that we didn't expect.
0: I didn't even know that people were identifying him as a potential buyout candidate. Uh, that would be, I even if he went to ask the team for it, that would just be seems like that's too valuable to just let's like to, to take you know get a few dollars back and just let him go sign with another team. I know his, his salary is. I, first of all, it's not astronomical, but I know people don't want to pay bigs, fifteen million dollars a year. Um, but that still feels, you know, even if it's a situation where they're running counter to what they wanted to do and they're moving him for like worse money long term because it's attached to an asset, like that would still be an option. And so I didn't even know that that was being floated around that Cody Zeller would become a buyout candidate. I,
1: I, I've heard, I've seen rumblings about it, and I'm just like, I, I sit back and I laugh because I know it's not happening.
0: So. What do you think ends up being, in a situation, you know, close game, they're, they're trying to win, what ends up being the best or most used closing unit for this squad? All
1: right, let's see. Graham, Rozier, Hayward, and then it's a combination of, and this is, and th- I think there's going to be a closing offense and a closing defensive lineup. And I do think it's going to be among these six guys. It's going to be Rozier, Graham, Hayward, probably Washington, Bridges, Zeller. And some combination, in the last three, Washington, Bridges, Zeller, are going to be a combination of offense, defense, who's got it working that what night. That's going to be your closing lineup. I don't see LaMelo closing games yet because you do not trust the... Sh- I, I don't trust the jump shot to be consistent mm-hmm. just yet. But I do think that I do think that that's going to be your six, and I think the the seventh is Lamelo, and that depends on how much they choose to want. They want to open up everything, in terms of okay, everybody's actualized, everybody's a threat. Lamelo going to find the open guy and then possibly bury you. So, I think I think it's those guys. I don't. I because and I hate to say that I'm p- pumping the brake, telling people pump the brakes on Lamelo. He's not ready yet mm-hmm. because these are the type of things that I end up being generally very, very wrong about. But I want to understand. I want people to understand. He can be the rookie of the year, and he doesn't have to close games just yet. It's coming, but I don't think it's there just yet.
0: Is there like a less obvious or quirkier lineup you're hoping they
1: try out at any point this season? Hmm. Rogier, Lamelo, McDaniel's, Bridges, Zeller. Okay, I like that lineup because I think that's going to have much more three point shooting. You're going to have a lot more. You have guys that can attack the rim, and it. it I think that that kind of lineup, when you play Rogier off ball, is the type of lineup that spreads the floor just enough for Lamelo. To really do damage and gives him a really good pick, two good really, two really good um, pick and roll players that can finish at the rim. Well, one finishes at the rim, but one is a really good pick and roll big in Cody Zeller. I I want, I kind of want to see that one.
0: Would they consider doing McDaniel's Bridges Hayward Graham and then either Rozier or Ball?
1: No. No because I think it still runs into the same problems That you do with PJ Is that I don't think McDaniels is, is big enough To be a center yet It's close like, I think that's a year or two away I think that's another year of, of an NBA strength training program And I think that's that's a little bit further away Than we think I And unfortunately I don't see Miles Bridges as a small ball center anytime soon And I don't think the organization does either
0: yeah, that would it would have to fall to McDaniel's there, and so if you don't think that he's ready for that, could it be any worse than using PJ Washington at center though?
1: Yes, yes, okay. yes, because I, again, where I think that that small ball lineup with PJ Washington grabs every third rebound, the the chances of that happening with McDaniel's goes to every fifth rebound. So if you're giving up four offensive rebounds per possession, that's a bad that's a bad number no matter what
0: okay so what's a real what are some realistic expectations for this team this season the um, you know win total where they finish in the east uh, just as a note their over under is currently at 27.5 last time I checked uh, which is the equivalent for people who cannot think in terms of 72 games like myself uh, mm-hmm. is the equivalent of a 31 win season. Uh, how would you lean on on that
1: number? 20 had it been 25 26, I would probably give them the over. I do wonder, uh, the thing that I worry about with this team particularly is that that nine-month layoff and only having two weeks of organized basketball activity in nine months and then coming into a season and then going against the Raptors and looking extremely, extremely, extremely rusty and seeing the difference in communication on defense especially. That matters. So I, I expect them as they're... Like integrating new parts that they're going to start slow. I can see this being a second half of the schedule team. I can also see this team, I, I can see, like I said, I see this team starting off slow and then basically being a house of fire come that second half of the schedule. I would say under, but I am so, I'm like clenching my fists, nervous about how far, how much I say the under. Because I can easily see this team being a top ten team, and I can easily see this team catching guys like catching teams like Indiana or uh, Atlanta, um, Washington even too, just sleeping and being a bit a team that's like, hey, did you know the Hornets are in ninth? (laughs) Oh wow, I didn't really understand. I didn't really get that, but and, and just catching people sleeping, I can see this team being that. But I also can see this team. Having a lot of young guys, especially a lot of guys with, like, three years or less of surface time, and this being a very, very, very slow process.
0: I, I went under um, as well. I was probably more confident in it than than you are. I just can't, and part of the reason was I can't figure out what they're going to be defensively. Like, I can talk myself into them being a sleeper defensive team, but I could also talk myself into them being absolutely awful on that side of the floor.
1: No, 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 no. Defensively, I don't trust them. I do not trust them at all. I do not trust them at all when it comes to a – as a defensive team. I think this team is going to beat a lot of teams on offense. I think they're I think as LaMelo grows, I think he's going to be – he's going to help them score a lot more points and make things a lot easier. And I do think he rebounds his position exceptionally well for his size. So I do see a lot of that in there. I do – like, I just, I say under, I'm not very confident in it because I think they're just going to score points in, in bunches at times and then they'll go cold and they'll continue to score po- points in bunches. And it's going to be a team that competes every night. And with a 70 72-game ga- season and the depth that they have, I think there's going to be a lot of different combinations to make sure that things stay fresh. And if you're a team that's tired and relies on a lot of veterans, they're going to catch you. And that's why I think if it's going to be under, it's going to be close.
0: Is there anything I have not asked you about that you would like to discuss about this Hornets team?
1: I'm surprised you didn't go. Are you? Do you think that Lamelo is going to be the Rookie of the Year this year? I'm surprised that no, that you did not ask me about that. I well, do, but I and and the thing is, like in terms of Lamelo, I think he's going to be great. I think that he's again along with the rest of this team being a second half team, I do kind of wonder if this team, if a set a good second half of the schedule campaign is going to be strong enough, especially with this rookie class that no one seems to really love like that, if that's going to be enough to carry him to, to Rookie of the Year. I do think he's going to be Rookie of the Year. And, as I will continually say, stop underrating Terry Rozier. Yeah. And, and I think like I think I think that's the thing. Terry Rozier was has been really really good for this team and I think he's been a, he's shown to be a really clutch player and he's shown to be a very 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 good player outside of the Brad, Brad Stevens Boston Guard system. So I would just point out that the Terry Rozier hype train is real. And I can see him like I said I I like him. I want to see him in Charlotte. I can see him get dealt at the same time.
0: LaMelo's rookie of the year stock feels almost implicit. Uh, I guess if they bring him along more slowly than you'd expect, but he does seem, especially of the top rookies, that he should be guaranteed the most volume and influence over an offense. Uh, I am I have steadily talked myself into going with Tyrese Halliburton for rookie of the year though.
1: You're wait 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 wait, 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 wait hold, hold 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 Dan, you're trusting the Sacramento Kings to do something right?
0: Look, uh but <laughs> fair. Um, but I feel like Tyrese Halberton is one of those players that is going to end up being so good that the team can't even screw him up. And I think what's also encouraging by the Kings is this feels like it looks like they're going to be committed to stripping it down and so that his role is only going to, you know, grow, augment as the season goes on. And I even think they're going to be willing to try Buddy, Fox, and and Halberton at the same time. And he's one of the rookies that I identify as, you know, I I won't say positive, but you'll look at him on defense and say, whoa like he's kind of ahead of of the curve of where he should be i don't know that i would definitely bet against what lamello's volume is going to be on offense like i said it feels like hit Lamelo's rookie of the year victory is almost implied by volume and that's not even that's not like not to demean him it seems like he's going to be really good i just don't um how i can't quit Halliburton as i keep
1: saying on this podcast no you can't no you can't if you can't quit Halliburton, like I'll give you a name that I just continually come back to because I'm surprised about how good he is, despite that the fact that he's had a whole bunch of international experience. I can't keep coming. Like, I keep coming back to Maladon. Oh, LKC. Okay. Like That's the guy that, if you're telling me it's not going to be Lamella, it's going to be someone like Theo Maladon, who's going to have a whole bunch of opportunities thanks to Gilgis Alexander and Al Horford, and just basically he's going to end up showing out. And Sam Presti is going to make us all look bad yet again and that's without the millions of first round picks that he's got.
0: Yeah, uh, they and I mean they have like they have a ton of like guards, so I don't know how the rotation is going to shake out, but they're if they're going to try and like really plumb the depths of how bad they could be, like why not just give him like some offensive license? So that's that is not someone I considered, but when I was doing the the Thunder podcast, like one of the players that was identified as like oh sleeper could be really good for this team, uh by Olivia Punchal, who I was talking to was um Taylor Maladone, and so I'm interested. To see what kind of like role he ends up playing for them? But that's a that's an interesting pick from you. I like it.
1: Yeah. Well, look I, again. I don't just focus on the Hornets. I do. I, again, I'm a lead pa, secret league pass addict. Um, I know there are meetings for this. I choose not to go. Uh but is it really is, a
0: secret that you're a league pass addict? I feel like if anyone follows you on Twitter, they could they could tell.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're you're right. You're right about that. You you make a very very good point. It, but yeah, but. Like, Maladon, um, like, I, I. the other thing is I secretly really love this rookie class. I think it was unfairly panned. I think people studied entirely too long on this draft. Yeah. <laughs> through through no fault of their own because we waited almost six months in between where the draft actually happens and what it, so I understand completely. At the same time, I think this, this draft class is going to be better than people think. And I also think that, the stars, there are going to be serious stars. I hope Lamelo is one of them, but I can see a scenario where this team, this draft, ends up giving you a couple of All-NBA guys, and it's going to be like, can you remember when everyone was crapping on this draft? Because I do, and that that'll be one of the things. I think this draft is better than people think. I think it's deeper than people think, and when we have these conversations about draft, better one of the better draft classes. I don't think this is going to be like where we talk about the um, Giannis-C.J. McCollum draft where no Mm -hmm. one was good in the top 10 picks, really. But I do think that this is a draft class that people are going to come back and say, hey, that was deeper than we thought it was.
0: Yeah, I think that everyone just got caught up and it didn't feel like there was a ton of superstar prospects at the top. But it feels like there's very clear, even some of the players that I'm not super high on, it feels like there's a very clear path to them sticking in the NBA for a very long time.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there are a lot of NBA prospects on this team, and I, I really do love them. I, I really do love this class. I really do. Um, I just hope Verdi Carey pans out because if not, and you could have had Isaiah Joe and added another shooter to this to this roster. I'm not going to be upset. I'm not going to be happy.
0: Kanata, thank you so much. This was great. Always love picking your brain about the Charlotte Hornets and hoops at large. If you guys are not following Kanata on Twitter, what are you even doing at this point? Follow him immediately. He's at not of the scribe. That's at N-A-T-A-T-H-E-S-C-R-I-B-E. He's co-host of the Locked On Hornets podcast and a writer for Dime Uprocks. Again, follow him on Twitter at not of the scribe. As always, Kanada, this was fantastic, and
1: I think you know by now that I will definitely be pestering you again down the line. Man, look, again, you know I like talking ball about you, and now that you can no longer t- troll me about Obi Toppin, yeah, we can have more conversation now. We can absolutely have more conversations.
0: All I could say is that was the single worst possible outcome was not only the Hornets not ending up with Toppin, but the Knicks <laughs> ending up with Toppin.
1: That was the best part. because <laughs> You know what? And I didn't even think about it until it happened that, that oh, wait, this is Dad's worst nightmare.
0: Right. And you know what was even worse about it is so I got like super sick around the draft to the point that I actually had to call out of Bleacher Report that night and luckily they were very nice about it, but I couldn't I couldn't move. Like that's how sick I was. And so I missed the first part of the draft and so I I woke up to find out that they took like Toppin. I had passed out and so it wasn't even like I wasn't even watching it live. I, I just woke up and that was like the first thing that jumped out was that they had Toppin, and I was like, oh. And look, he might be fine, but the fact that I had, one, trolled you about him, and two, fallen in love with Halliburton, and then Devin Vassell was the other guy where I thought people might have led a mutiny if he was taken – um, in that spot, but I actually, end, I think he's going to be one of the guys who's really good out of this class. So it was a, it was just a perfect storm of, um, you know, karmic
1: retribution. I think for me trolling yes, you was. for so
0: long about topic.
1: Yes, yes, it was. It was perfect karmic tro- uh, retribution. Perfect. And you know what? The universe saved you that day. That the universe saved you that day because had you seen that live, being as sick as it was, it might have the shock might have killed you.
0: And look, the other thing is the Hornets are the reason they don't have Vernon Carey Jr. either, who's like sort of intriguing. And so that's <laughs> like. Just too many too many doses of uh, me me being given mine on draft night, apparently. But double like, whammies. Yeah. Mm. Um mm. thank you so much, Kanata. I will talk to you soon. This was great, as always. Really appreciate the time.
1: Absolutely, man. Talk to you soon.